0: The Incomparable, number 195, May 2014.
1: Welcome back to the Incomparable podcast, the podcast that likes to draft things because I am obsessed with drafting things. All the things will be drafted eventually, culminating in our draft draft where we draft the biggest, the best drafts. That we've ever done, but until then, we will do this draft. This draft is a follow-up to our video game draft. We promised we would come back and talk about computer games, and so here we are to talk about computer games. So games that you do on a computer, as opposed to a video game console or mobile device or such, and we are going to be uh, uh, judged ruthlessly by the judges. My judging panel is me. I am ruthless. Uh, joining me, and this will be I Rolled for Initiative before the uh, podcast, I am going to introduce them in the order in which they will pick. Uh-oh. So, Dan Morin. Oh, no. What? You got like a 99. You are first. Hello. <laughs> oh, my God. This never happens. I draft all the things. Yeah, you can't do that. But but uh, get ready. Get ready. You're first up. Monty Ashley is also here. He is our second picker. Excellent. <laughs> very good erica ensign is here she is our third picker
2: Ooh, lucky number three
1: yep you're in a good that's a good position i always like to be in sort of the middle when we're when we're drafting that's a good good place to be of course i'm always last but i dream about the middle uh, tony Sindelar <laughs> is our fourth place picker that's not
3: such a great number
1: it's not that great but it's okay it's okay i think it means death I was seriously disappointed that uh, Steve Lutz was our fifth place picker and not dead last, because that's where I like to put him. But <laughs> I'm not exceedingly happy about that myself. Yeah. And John Syracuse, you are number six.
0: How are you going to judge things that you've never heard of? I'm curious about that. <laughs>
1: I, the internet, or
4: random dice. Uh, This computer game is pretty great, but you probably haven't heard of it.
3: Uh, This game was originally developed for the oscilloscope. Does that count? (laughs) I've
1: got got dice to roll randomly if I need to just make a choice. You must get yourself a
5: Timex Sinclair just for this (laughs) game. It will blow your mind.
1: It can all be
6: emulated. Uh, it is possible to work around this judge, by the way. I've worked with this guy before. It's... <laughs> yes,
1: you can. I, I'm I'm open. There, there are possibilities. The draft judge is not always cruel. D- is punching holes in punch cards considered a game?
4: Because And then feeding them into the computer? That's,
1: it's a game, that's... but not a computer game.
4: I mean, it, you're putting them into the computer. <laughs> it's a card game. Not all games played with computers are computer games. Ah, uh, interesting. For example... The game of tech support.
0: Yeah, not a game. Patty cake, not a game if you play it with your computer.
1: Yeah, not a game. That game where you play chess where different models of computer are each of the pieces on a giant board. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: Oh, that game. Yeah. Game theory, not a game. That that was disappointing. That was the worst class I ever That's... took.
1: <laughs> Mac Classic to Mac Classic Four. It's funny until you I mean you gotta
4: figure out how they all move is the problem.
1: And you got to remember it.
4: The Mac Classic only moves by throwing it halfway across the board.
1: All right, so computer games, Dan Morin, pick a computer game.
4: All right, well, I'm going to start off with what I think might be the the most uh possible like the one that people are most likely to snipe and that is uh the 1994 LucasArts game, Tie Fighter. Snipe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh Tie Fighter, which is uh, one of the best games I think I ever played um and as with many of the games on my list this is this is about people dressed in formal wear fighting yes they are they are in tuxedos and they they do kung fu uh it's great
1: it's great you garrote people with your tie bow tie fighter was the sequel less bow tie fighter less successful cummerbund um Something, yeah. Anyway.
4: Yeah. Lots of options. Yeah, oh, well as with many of the games on my list, this was a game I primarily played at some like one of my friends' houses because I didn't have a PC. Don't forget about the sequel
6: Fisticuff Links. <laughs>
1: there we go.
6: Thanks, Steve. You bailed me out on that one.
1: And some joke about cummerbund that I can't think of. So.
6: I, I was working that when you when you brought it up, but yeah. I had to change anyway. Yeah, the Broderbund slash Cumberbund.
1: <laughs> <laughs> sure. There's there's something there somewhere. Cummerbund challenge.
6: We'll work on it and get back okay. to you at the end of the draft.
3: Yeah, guys, workshop that offline. <laughs> yeah, timing, Dan,
6: timing. It's tough, tough going first.
3: <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's hazy- hazing,
1: really.
4: Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I think the thing that's most uh, is sort of in my head that I remember about this game is not only that there was the whole like space simulation aspect of it, which was obviously great, but there was a whole sort of weird side plot as you got higher and higher up in this, like, secret society within um, the Empire. So much so that when you were at the mission select screen, if you moused over it, you get, like, you see the guy's arm, and you would mouse over it, and his sleeve would slide up, and he would have, like, a tattoo, like, like indicated he was in this secret branch of the Empire. Um, and it
3: would get more and more elaborate.
4: Right, exactly. As he got more and more levels, it would get more and more elaborate. And there was, like, this whole plot in there, um, you know, about sort of what this group was doing. Um, and you got to fly spaceships around and shoot stuff, and I don't know, it was it was incredible to me as a you know fourteen year old or so.
3: And Dan, of course, chose Tie Fighter over the the previous LucasArts Space Sim X Wing because indeed he's a bad man because it's <laughs> uh, cause it's better. We all know it's better. It was it was it was X Wing <laughs>
4: is pretty good. Don't get me wrong, but like X Wing was very much a straight up simulation, right? Where this has actually had like a storyline. There was a little more going yeah, there. It built on all the previous ones. Right. And it was followed by a couple other sequels, um, which added multiplayer, which was cool, although I never had, like, enough friends with computers connected in a way that we could actually play multiplayer games. <laughs> so I was pretty much stuck with just the first player. My my friend and I used to play this with two of us sitting there because it was all so complicated with, like, rearranging your shield
1: power and oh, all yeah. these
4: various, like, because it was such a, it was a, really a simulation. It's not just a point and click thing. So one of us had to like fly around with the other person was like working all the computer stuff.
0: That's a hallmark of computer games. Two I've played many computer games, two people at one computer because there were so many damn keys. Mech Warrior is another one.
4: <laughs> Almost all of the games on my list, I think, were played at least in part in that way, just because it was it was like multiplayer before multiplayer was really a thing.
0: So Dan,
1: did you want did you like choose which one of you was going to be the droid? And then that one only could go boop 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 i guess that's x-wing sorry there are no droids and tie fighters please are there
3: little those little black boxes on tie fighter or do those guys just uh fly it all by themselves they leave the they leave those guys back in the hangar they're just sat they like they wave goodbye so that's <laughs> what you would do was
1: one of you would play the little black box left at the hangar and go sit in the corner while the other person had an adventure
3: jason please call it a mouse droid
4: also when you uh i have to note for those of you who uh i mean which is most of you around in the early uh i think this ran on like a Maybe a 46 or a Pentium or something like that. At the it point. was pre-CD-ROM. Um, yeah. it, well, I mean, do you remember computers that had turbo
1: buttons on them? <laughs> like, like Knight Rider?
4: Yeah. <laughs> Where you had to change the clock speed. Well, you changed the <laughs> clock speed of the computer. Wow. Because if you ran certain, like, DOS games, they would run too fast. So if you ran this in DOS, because it all ran in DOS as well as, I think there was later a Windows version... Um, but if you ran it in DOS, like everything went super fast and you couldn't do anything. So you had to like slow down the clock speed.
6: So I'm looking at the box right now and it says 486 DX2 66 minimum required.
4: Yeah, there you go. So yeah, that's some hardcore. Yeah. So I think we played it on a Pentium, which you had to slow down to 486 speeds in order to play it in DOS. Sure. Why would you need more than that? Did you have the requisite eight megabytes of
0: RAM? Maybe that was the problem. (laughs) I I don't it wasn't my computer man. Yeah. <laughs> totally totally using my friend's computer for this. Turbo buttons were on the PC AT, I believe, which would run Red Baron too fast if you had the turbo button pressed in, so the turbo button long predates the 46. Huh.
3: I remember particularly enjoying that game because it was heavily inspired by kind of the traditional flight simulator games, so there were entire sequences to it that were not like really action-packed or what you would consider enjoyable but they were like (laughs) this is what it would like there were missions where we're like you'd fly around a tie fighter and have to scan cargo ships to make sure they were like had their registration up to date and then like something (laughs) would happen but it'd be like you're gonna scan cargo ships for 20 minutes this is what you do when you work for the empire deal with it I spent a really long time trying to get
4: this to work in a DOS emulator, and you can't, I could get it to work, but the problem is it really doesn't play well without a joystick yeah. and you getting the mouse to emulate a joystick it doesn't really work Mm-mm. great
1: no i played i think I played x wing with a with a, a joystick and and uh, boy that was that was hard. It did feel a little bit like I wasn't playing a game so much as being trained in how to fly an X wing.
6: You had to like fly through hoops and stuff like that, yeah, yeah. I've got the Collector series, which was remastered for Windows 95. Maybe you'd have better luck with that.
4: Yeah, well, and they also have, uh, I think it added an expansion or two as well. There were some, there were some add-ons Interesting um, to TIE Fighter. And, and, yeah, so, I don't know. Most of the other nerding about this is probably Star Wars-related nerding.
3: Yeah. It keeps being one of those ones that you hope that they'll do some kind of re-release, but now with LucasArts' current state, that seems... Uh... I mean, non-existent, that state.
4: Yeah, for years I wanted an X, uh, Xbox Arcade version of this game.
3: I mean, it just seems, yeah, it seems like that's, if you know, there's probably, there's other games higher up in the list and we're probably never even going to see those.
4: It's a really popular game. I mean, if you look back at, like, the awards it won, like, it's on a bunch of, like, greatest games lists and stuff like that. I mean, and I think the Star Wars name, you know, this is one of the better Star Wars games ever made. It's a high bar. Didn't they just, aren't they beta testing a, an X-Wing game that runs in the bro- in the browser? There is a there is a flash one. I actually have a. I managed to snag a beta invite to it. Yeah. it's not bad, but it's much more of a modern type game where it's like you know don't worry too much about the. It's more of a twitch game than a simulation, but it has its
1: entertainment. All right, Tie Fighter, good pick. First pick that was uh, that was uh, a solid pick there, Dan.
6: That's all the time we have, folks. Good night. Yep. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Thanks for tu- tuning
4: in for TIE Fighter Top the damn
6: morning.
4: <laughs> oh my god, it's gonna be in syndication. It's
1: gonna be great. Yeah, it is. Monty, you're it's your turn. I'm going to
5: nineteen eighty-six. I think we'll all agree the high point of computer games.
3: <laughs> like some kind of Dust Bowl game. I'm really bored. <laughs> Tom Joad versus the Turtle. That's the game. <laughs> This is Trinity by
5: Infocom.
6: Ah, oh, uh, very nice. It
5: is is a text adventure that starts with a nuclear bomb going off over London, then kind of goes into a Mary Poppins thing before being sort of an Alice in Wonderland-inspired romp through the history of nuclear weaponry. Oh, yeah, right. It is amazing.
6: It's uh, Steve, Steve Moretzky, right? Uh, Brian Moriarty. Oh, it's Moriarty. Okay. Yeah. I'm thinking of mine forever voyaging, I guess. Yeah, Monty.
1: If I had to predict that you would pick an Infocom game for your <laughs> first pick, I would. I would have correctly picked that. That is exactly what I would have, would have thought you would have done. This is the one with the radioactive symbol on it, isn't that? Yeah, yeah.
5: And you, uh, g- the feelies that came with it were how to fold an origami crane and a little cardboard sundial, which
3: even Can I explain for some of our younger audience what feelies are.
5: Originally, anybody could copy computer games. Then copy protection became invented. Then copy protection got broken. Then that last, those last two cycles repeated a hundred times. Then Infocom came up with this brilliant idea of putting things in their game, like for The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you got a pair of peril-sensitive sunglasses that would turn black oh, whenever there yeah. was peril. The joke, of course, being that they were solid black cardboard, so there was always peril. Right. <laughs> and that way they could both give you something fun, like a little uh, cardboard sundial you could fold, and also refer to it in the game as kind of mock copy protection. So you'd have to look at your feelies and answer questions or something, depending on how subtly they did it.
4: Well, like looking stuff up in the manual, you had to do it. But like on page 27, what's the third word in the fifth paragraph?
5: Yeah, or because Infocom was a little more subtle than that, they'd include a comic book, and you'd have to read the comic book so you'd know what rex mastodon liked to drink so when that came up in the game you would say i don't remember what he liked to drink that example is from the very classy game
3: leather goddesses of phobos
0: there's nothing like the leisure suit larry copper protection remember that one where they would ask you questions yeah before the game started
3: i remember sitting next to someone in college who, who was really struggling with those questions it was kind of sad
0: like it was like nick's it
3: was like you know you know, who was president in, you know, 1986, and, you know.
0: Or they would ask you things like, I have hair, A, on my head, B, lots of places, C. <laughs> that, was, that was like the kind of questions they would ask you. It would trip up five-year-olds.
5: Those questions have come back to haunt them, because if you, get it, the, if you get the Lost Treasures of Infocom, I think it is, the CD-ROM that has a bunch of their old games on it, it comes with a PDF of all the documentation, but it's missing some. So you can't actually play Bureaucracy. You get about a third of the way through and it asks, who is conspiring to destroy the country? And you don't know because you don't have the flyer that says it's the dentists.
7: Which
6: is actually sort of perfect when you think about it.
0: That's all part, it's all part of the game. Yeah, exactly.
6: Yeah, you have to go. They knew you'd have to go on the internet to find that out. Because by then Infocom was owned by Activision, which is a bureaucracy of its own sort. So. Yeah. It's perfect. So I'm very fond of text adventures. I still
5: have them on every computer or device that I own and trinity i think is the best one so i'm taking trinity
1: all right that's that's great and uh in <laughs> emulation allows us to uh play many of these games i think which is nice
5: well you don't even need emulation because infocom wrote their own language which was how they were how they were able to get it on every platform at the time so people have just written interpreters
1: and i have i have one on my iphone i believe one on my ipad very nice erica it's your turn
2: Well, uh, for my pick, I am going to take you back to the Halcyon days of the early 90s. Uh Uh-oh. And... And a game that I genuinely think I would not be the same person now if I hadn't discovered this game at the time. And that is Ultima 7 Part 1, The Black Gate.
6: Oh. Mm
2: -hmm. Yes. You see, my mom uh, took my siblings and I shopping and said we could get one computer game. And, of course, there was an argument. You know, we went to uh, American TV and Appliance run by Crazy Lenny. Crazy TV Lenny. I kid you not. That was was a store. (laughs) And they sold computers in addition to television and furniture and and refrigerators and things that's crazy so, yeah isn't it just that's Lenny for you uh, and so there were two games that my brother and I were arguing over and I can't even remember who was pulling for which game it was it was between Ultima 7 and I think it was King's Quest 6 probably um, and one of us won I like to think it was me because really I like to think it was me um, and I decided we decided to go with Ultima 7 and that game became the center of our world for uh, i don't even know how mi- how long it was it was months because you know we were
6: that's a good call if you're if you're told you can only pick one game always pick the one that takes 600 years to complete <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
2: it was so wonderful we got it home and we pulled out the i think it was 12 five and a quarter floppy inch five and a quarter inch floppy disks and you know took a million years loading them up onto our ancient ancient computer and well now ancient even at the time it wasn't super new but it was new enough to play that game barely um half the time the mouse wouldn't work and we would have to use the keyboard commands which let me tell you Uh, Not a whole lot of fun. Although the day we discovered that when you pressed in shift and hit the arrow keys, you walked faster was a great, great day for our family. Um, But anyway, so the uh, Ultima series had been around for quite a while at that point, but I had never heard of it. So this was my first introduction uh, to the game where you are transported from the real world into this, you know, compute, this different land that we can access through the computer. And uh, the thing that I love about it the most is just the fact that it's such an open world and you can really just go anywhere and do anything. Once you get past sort of the first the first little, little challenge, you start out in a city, which I love. It's called Trinsic. So you're starting in intrinsic, which is wonderful because you have to learn all of the basics of the game, all of the things that are intrinsic to playing the game. So when you're starting off with a pun like that, how can you possibly go wrong? Uh, But after that, um, every pretty much anywhere in the entire realm is open to you. In a lot of games that are sort of like that, the strength of the monsters sort of keeps you where you're quote unquote supposed to be. And here that rarely happened. You could kind of go just about anywhere and and sort of avoid the monsters and get way ahead of yourself if you wanted. And, and I loved that. Um, and the only thing that I kind of found a little frustrating the first time through was just that we could only have a party of of so many people so you had to pick and choose and uh, after playing it through the first time and having it be this this super important thing in our lives I mean we would have snow days uh, from school and my brother and sister and I would sit we had a piano bench instead of a computer chair and the three of us would sit next to each other on the piano bench playing Ultima 7 and we would take turns you know one person would get to run the, the mouse or the keyboard. And and then we would have to switch off because otherwise mom would yell at us because somebody would complain. And we would literally spend 11 or 12 hours at a, at a stretch just all sitting together. And I think my parents let us do that because we weren't arguing with each other (laughs) and nobody was hitting, hitting the other one because we were just so completely involved in this game. Um, so we created our party and I think, I don't know how many more times I have played through Ultima 7, but I, I, I have to play with the same party because I feel like they are family members. I feel like they're my friends. I met them so long ago that every time I, every time I go through, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll take Julia this time. But then like, who do I get rid of? Nobody. I I just can't do it. Um. Um, and speaking of Julia, it would have been nice to have a female in the party. Um, I just couldn't make that happen because they all they came too late. But I loved, loved, loved the fact that I could play as a female character um, as the Avatar and that was something that you didn't see very often. Unfortunately, the only choice was blonde, um which they <laughs> they they opened up in in Ultima 7 part 2, uh, Serpent Isle. You were you were able to to change your features and and you could play as a brunette, which would have been more appropriate, but after spending so many years playing and replaying as the blonde, I just I couldn't change. I'm I'm such a creature of habit. Um uh, but there were lots of references and in jokes and things that I absolutely did not get at the time because I was just too young for it. Uh, but I, I think that it was—it's a credit to the the story that those jokes not knowing those jokes doesn't detract from it at all so like you know the fellowship is this mysterious sort of culty new church that's <clears throat> that's sprung up and you know that's supposed to be sort of a riff on scientology well i didn't get it at the time but now i think it just makes the game even deeper um and it came with feelies too uh we had a cloth map and a little metal fellowship token um and the copy protection for ultima seven was asking questions about longitude and latitude on the map uh. um, yeah, so. Oh.
1: Good times. <laughs> I'm
2: getting misty just thinking
1: about it. <laughs> I have some. I have some Ultima memories of my own, but I'm going to save them in case I pick another Ultima game later. Ooh. Yeah, I, I've got one on my list, and it. Yeah, I. I might. I might or might not. Um, somebody in the chat room suggesting that if any of you picks Minesweeper, you are banned from the podcast for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no comment. <laughs> Actually, that would be kind of
3: that would be that would be kind of brilliant. I. I uh, what are the highest selling games of all time? Well, selling?
4: <laughs> what about that puzzle slidey game on OST? Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: Let's just say it depends on how deep we get into our lists.
1: All right, fair enough. I have it written down.
3: It's not high. <laughs> okay, good. Tony, it's your turn. Um, I would like to draft for my first pick, uh, the game Half-Life. You may have heard of it. Oh! You! <laughs> <laughs> ah! Eat it! What? Yeah! Ah, shaking my fist over here. Ah, uh, there's nothing better than drafting something that somebody else wanted ah. to draft. Yeah! <laughs> um, so, uh, Half-Life is a very popular uh, first-person shooter from the late 90s that was Valve, Valve Software that everyone's heard about and makes lots of games and makes Steam and all that kind of stuff. That was their first thing. Uh, and no doubt many of you have or at least heard of Half-Life, if not played Half-Life or one of the many sequels uh, since then. But uh, I played that when I was, you know, but a, but a young or... Yeah, but a young high school student, Uh, and Half-Life was this great game in which you played as Gordon Freeman, who was a theoretical physicist and kind of your silent uh, protagonist, who had a PhD from MIT, but basically, as far as I could tell, as a scientist, his main job was like sliding crates around a room (laughs) that other scientists would tell him to do, and then everything goes horribly awry in his science facility. Suddenly, there are aliens running around, and so he's running around trying not to get killed by aliens, and then... The government shows up, and turns out they want to kill the aliens, but also everyone who, you know, may have been involved in bringing aliens there. So he's on the run from that.
6: Um, and so He actually got of... his PhD in uh, first-person shooters, so moving crates around was a natural fit for him. <laughs> this was in the crate era of games, as I remember. Yes,
3: it was, this was peak crate. <laughs> um, this was, you know, every game back then had a crate, which I, I always I, I enjoyed because it was clear that the people who made video games, like... Only had really kind of a loose sense of what a crate really would do in the real world. Because, like, for example, you would see... There would be crates everywhere. They would be stacked. They would be hanging from things. You would use them for stuff. They would come in lots of shapes, you know, that didn't make any sense. But you know what you almost never saw? A pallet. Never saw a pallet. And it's like, I had a job working in a warehouse. I've unloaded trucks. You know what crates come on? Crates come on pallets. You pasty video game designers who've never seen a real crate. Um, but yeah, Half-Life was at peak crate. Um, so, uh, kind of iconic first-person shooter that also incorporated some kind of puzzle-solving with moving crates and smashing things with your crowbar. Um, had really great artificial intelligence for uh, for the time for the different types of enemies that would pursue you and it was also kind of this breakthrough in terms of how they told a story in a first person shooter because there would be kind of these scripted action sequences you would show up and there'd be aliens fighting monsters or people breaking down a wall and coming at you and all these things that perhaps before would have really just happened in cutscenes, right so you could kind of play through this this whole thing um, and you know there have since then been, been many games and unfortunately the Half-Life series has not even been concluded yet which is increasingly frustrating um but, yeah, that's Half-Life. Steve, did you want to say anything about Half-Life since <laughs> I stole it from you?
6: That's all right. No, I, I was just going to point out the uh, – y- you make a good point about the fact that um, this probably was the first first-person shooter to have a real narrative that you lived yep. through. I mean, yep. uh, I think Star Wars Dark Forces came a little, came a little earlier, but that – Oh, yeah. The, um, you know, there, were, there were the occasional <clears> conversations <throat> you'd have with, uh, <laughs> with your, your, your buddy – uh, Jan, but uh, most of the actual storyline was told in those sort of text screens in between the levels. And this, I mean, you knew it was something special right from that groundbreaking opening sequence where you're traveling to work and you're on the Black Mesa tram and you, you catch sort of yeah. glimpses of giant robots and huge lakes of toxic waste. And you, you get the impression that perhaps safety regulations are not the Black Mesa facility's highest priority. But there were just, there were so many great moments in that. And it was, I, I think the the design was was done from the perspective that, yeah, let's come up with what would be cool to have happen in this game, and then we'll worry about how to implement it later. So you get stuff like that amazing sequence in the missile silo with the tentacles that can only hear you, and then there's that, that big room where you're sort of introduced to the ninja who hadn't showed up at that point, point. and, uh, oh, and the helicopter, the damned helicopter. Yeah.
3: You had to shoot it out of the sky with missiles over and over again. Yeah. Running back and forth along a cliff. For an entire afternoon.
6: But the best thing with the helicopter is it had shown up in so many scenes and it had been sort of the bane of your existence and you finally got to take it down. It was the greatest moment up till up till that point in first person shooters. So wonderful game. I, I still bust it out and play it every couple of years. I've played it through... I've not played it
3: recently, but I've played it through at least four or five times. And part of that was kind of the power of the engine that they built for it, which was ended up being kind of important for a lot of games around then. Uh, Counter-Strike was originally a Half-Life mod, which would become its own game later. Um, you know, the kind of... Team Fortress had existed before Half-Life, but it was the Half-Life version of Team Fortress that became really, really popular. And then there were all these other kind of very weird, uh, strange games that people would build for that that were, that were really kind of cool and neat. Um Yeah.
2: I love your observation about peak crate. I never, you know, I never thought about that, but... So, like, as a matter of fact, in Ultima 7, there there's a lot of sort of, like, in-game puzzles. But one of the ones I found out about many years later is in that first city, if you take all of the crates in, in the town and <laughs> build a staircase to get you up to the top of a certain building, it basically has everything that you need to win the entire game. Also,
3: just out of curiosity, has anyone ever tried to actually
6: take apart a crate with a crowbar? Well, you got to just hit it with a wrench and it explodes into a thousand pieces.
3: Yeah, let me tell you, <laughs> has, having had that, like, open open a couple actual crates it's like they're not messing around it's not like you just like hit it and it breaks like an easter egg it's like you you know i mean it's something that
6: you send stuff in (laughs) it's designed to be resilient you got the other kind of crate you got the crate that can't be destroyed by any means whatsoever back at the dawn of the internet somebody
5: proposed a start to crate metric old man murray
1: yeah oh yeah
6: he's still around i guess Plenty of crates in Half-Life, by the way. We should point out.
1: If you're just joining us, you uh, are listening to Crate Talk, where we talk about crates.
6: <laughs> That's great.
0: Fair crate. That's what Gordon Freeman spent all those years yeah. in school learning. Just the right place to hit the crate with the crowbar, and mm-hmm. instantly flattens.
6: He
4: has a PhD, people.
0: Yeah, it's not <laughs> like you hit it. You can't just hit it anywhere. It's like that guy with the chalk mark on the generator. You know, the the chalk mark is one dollar, but ten thousand dollars for knowing where to put
6: it. And Mom said, "My." Video gaming would be of no use in my eventual factory job. Mm-hmm.
3: I would say for those who have not played Half Life, if you're a little put off by like how far back Half Life is as a game, you know the more recent, um, you know Half Life that was done with the Source engine is obviously a lot more graphically impressive. Uh, there's also an update of it that I think people on the internet spent like almost a decade on to the point where the update might need an update again in like a couple <laughs> years, um, where they built it with the Source engine. Um, but yeah, Half-Life 2 is also a great game. Um, I know some people who started with Half-Life 2, and it's it feels very kind of disorienting, and you have no idea what's going on. But that's actually part of the story, is that you like you show up in, in Half-Life 2, and the protagonist literally doesn't know what's going on, and it's disorienting. So it's not like you're missing—you're not missing on like the end of Half-Life, where they totally explain what happens. I think I went and looked up
4: the end of Half-Life when I started playing Half-Life 2, and I think I asked you about it, and you're like, no, don't worry. You're supposed to feel like that.
3: I'm like, okay! Dan, that's just life. Disoriented <laughs> confusion, staggering around on public transportation. Put in stasis by some mysterious government figure. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and crates. Don't forget the crates.
3: Dan, if you don't learn this stuff, you know, in a game, you're just going to learn it on the streets. And that's no good. So,
6: <laughs> Streets full of crates.
3: Steve let's what uh, what crate-oriented
6: game are you going to choose? No crates in my game. No! Are you sure it's a video game if it doesn't have crates? It's yeah. true. This is a little early for crates, I think. Uh, oh. and Half-Life is a good game, but uh, I'm surprised and a little disappointed that nobody has picked what is objectively the best game ever made. Uh, and huh. that is, uh, that is it's from 1991. There aren't very many games that are over two decades old that I still regularly play. Uh, not out of nostalgia, but just because it's a damn fine game that still has something to offer even after all these years. And this I one I bust with. out at least once a year. It is uh, Sid Meier's Civilization. Ah, mm. oh, nice which is uh, just an utterly fantastic game design. It's really, frankly, hard to believe how good it is considering all of the different intricate pieces that make it up. Um, For those who may be unfamiliar, you start with a single settler unit at the dawn of civilization, and uh, from there you build an empire capable of surviving throughout all of human history where uh, you win either by destroying every other civilization or being the first with the technological know-how to build a rocket to Alpha Centauri. And, uh, you know, either one is good, but it's definitely more fun to dominate your, your neighbors. Um, there's just so much I love about this game. I, I love how completely different every single game plays. The uh, the world is randomized, and it starts out, you know, kind of hidden behind this dark fog of war, and you uncover squares as you move your guy around. Uh, but you have no idea whether you're starting out next to five other rival civilizations or you're alone on some sort of small island and uh, won't run across anybody else until the Age of Sail. So that completely changes the way the game works. Um, I love the the constant balancing after trying to maintain your, your civilization. I mean, you, you want to gain population so your city can be more productive, but if it gets too overpopulated, the citizens get ticked off in riot. Uh, you know, you can mollify them by directing more of the city's production to luxury items, but if you do that, then you can't keep the war machine rolling, and you've got the Babylonians camped out on your eastern border, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun just kind of trying to keep things in order. Um, I, l- I like the flow of the game. I like the fact that uh, as the centuries pass, the gameplay kind of changes organically through these different eras. You start out just trying to eke out an existence and fend off the barbarians, And then there's kind of an age where you've kind of got a foothold. Your your civilization is starting to thrive, and so you expand and explore uh, and meet some of your neighbors and hopefully grind them into dust. Uh, And then there's an Industrial Revolution period that kicks off, and you're building factories and battleships and basically polluting the hell out of everything. And then there's a period where you're cleaning up the mess from the Industrial Revolution and mopping up the toxic waste from the nukes you dropped on the Aztecs archers. It's just, it's, it's always kind of fresh, and I think the fact that it changes so frequently is what what keeps you feeling like you have to keep playing and playing and playing. It's it's almost impossible to quit playing this game. You just want to see what happens on the next turn. Um, mostly I love just how accessible it is because uh, it's got this great learning curve. It doesn't overwhelm you like a lot of strategy games with a bunch of units and resources and things. It just starts you off with this one piddling little covered wagon And all you can do for a while is build granaries and put down a few roads. And then over time, it adds gameplay elements a little at a time until you've got a dozen cities and 100 units in this gigantic network of railroads. Um, I used to play this a lot in college. And when somebody was over drinking beers, I'd say, hey, I've got this really cool computer game you should check out. And I was always amazed. Even my dumbest friends (laughs) would sometimes get sucked in and they'd end up playing for like 10 hours and I have to kick them out at like 5 in the morning. All right, it's time to go home, dude. So, uh, and, and it's still, it still works wonderfully on me too there have been I think uh, five total now although I think the first is the simplest and probably for that reason the best they've kind of added I think a few too many complexities to the later models Civ 2 is probably about as good because they didn't change a whole lot in that one but uh, really just a fantastic game and certainly the best that I have ever personally played
1: nice I, I played civ 3 i think for a little while
3: and uh but i approve i approve your selection I, I, nobody else is saying anything so they think you're terrible i i played civ net which i believe was the original civ but with you know vague early early web-based you know uh, multiplayer mode mm. co- built into it
5: i remember some version of civ completely taking over my social group for about six months where we were just playing it constantly <laughs> and then we managed to kick it
6: somehow. You hit rock bottom and you, your <laughs> disc broke something like that. It's got its it's got its hooks in me, man. Even just talking about it I want to book uh, up right. I have I've been playing a lot of
3: Civ Revolution on the Xbox 360 because it was free. Revolution's fun. It's it's very simplified. It, it, they dumb it down for the Xbox, but it, yeah. it it is fun and you know, it's a free game that I've probably put,
6: you know, 50 or 60 hours into, so you know. You can get that on your iPad by the way and it's pretty it's a pretty good uh, port. Huh. I recommend it for people who are interested and want to kind of get into a simplified version.
1: Well... So there's Steve Lutz. We won't be seeing him again for another four weeks. He's going to go play Civilization now. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> John, I'm glad this is going so fast we might get one round in. John, Syracuse, <laughs> it's your turn. Uh, it's
0: making me re- it's making me reconsider my entire picture that's taken so long, yeah. Uh, although, if you thought putting me towards the end of the order would make me not have an introductory statement, you're wrong, but it will be short. <laughs> uh, I,
6: I, I, hey, uh, hey, uh, I was uh, looking for a... Is it really introductory at minute 40? <laughs>
0: well, it's, it's a framing device.
1: <laughs> Since I'm about to go on, like, three weeks of travel, and I'm trying to bank episodes desperately i'm sort of sitting back and thinking all right two-part episode great <laughs> <There he is.
5: laughs> Oh uh, man, uh. three weeks of travel or are you sailing to the new world
0: go ahead john Un- unlike the console game draft there's not like a, for in my mind it's not like a clear winner it just seems like there's so many more computer games maybe that's not true but it, does, it seems that way like the diversity and so many different you know I, it's when i think of computer games it wasn't easy for me to say oh i know exactly what i'm gonna pick one two three four five uh and so I said maybe instead of trying to pick the best or, like, the most important games, like I was picking Mario 64 and, and you know, Ocarina of Time stuff like that, I'm going to try to draft games that are the most meaningful to me. And I also felt some pressure to represent for Mac gaming because I figure most a lot of people on this podcast will not – maybe Jason. I got some, yeah. Won't represent the – the the Mac gamers, the people, but it's not just the people who had Macs and played games, but the people who weren't allowed to have anything else. I wasn't allowed to have game consoles, I didn't have a PC, the Mac was all I had, so I re- definitely feel a need to to re- represent Mac gaming.
3: Yeah, this is good, though. I hear the 5x5 network is really hostile to the whole, you know, Mac user environment.
0: So. Mac gamers, Mac gamers, yes, they're a rare breed, but... Before I embark on those picks, since none of you suckers picked it already, <laughs> I have I have boosted one pick to the top of my order, which I assume someone else would pick, which is better than every game that's talked about so far, and that is Portal.
6: No, not true.
0: Portal, yes. Oh,
6: come on, dude. It's a demo. Oh, yeah, it was great. I played it on this thing called the Xbox 360. You should check it out. Uh, <laughs> this isn't the demo draft, John. No, so
0: Portal was a pack-in game as part of the Orange Box, like, just kind of, like, I don't know if they thought it was, like, a, a an aside or a little bonus. Hey, you get Half-Life, you get Team Fortress, then this other game called Portal, whatever. And very quickly, Portal became the most important thing in the Orange Box. And, like, I know plenty of people who bought that and just didn't play anything except for Portal on there. Portal was a first-person game. It's kind of like a puzzle game, simple mechanic of making one opening here, one opening there. You go in one portal, you come out the other. Uh, the game teaches you its mechanic very simply and slowly. Uh, it it does everything you can imagine that's useful to do with that mechanic, and uh, and that sounds like well, fine. It sounds like a packin. Oh, whatever, silly. Even when you saw the demos, you're like, oh, it's kind of a clever idea, but whatever. How are they going to make a game out of that? The secret, the secret sauce was an amazing story and uh, a setting and a, a gameplay experience that was not like running around with a gun sticking out in front of you shooting everything. And it really was a story that you got into and there wasn't much to it. Like there was a voiceover, there was characters, the environment was kind of a character, but that whole story of Gladys and and the uh, the facility that you were trapped in and your predicament built to what I thought is the, the best ending that I've ever played of any computer game. And it only works if you've played the game and gotten good at all the mechanics because any sort of finale or boss battle can be frustrating if – you're trying to play through it and fighting against the mechanic or keep dying or whatever. But Half-Life, or not Half-Life, uh, Portal is is an easy enough game, I think, for the average gamer that by the time you get to that final level, you can beat it on the first try and you can hit every single story beat. Like It's that beautiful moment where you and the author of the game are in sync. Journey does this as well, I think. And... What they expect you to be doing, you're doing. Their voice or music cues happen exactly the time they're supposed to happen. You react to them in the way you're supposed to react to them. You do the thing. Like, it's all comes together. It's like a dance between the author of the game far back in time and you playing the game right now. And I still think about that finale and, like, all the different sound clips that were played and the things I did and the panic I felt and the fact that I didn't, you know, I didn't have to retry it over and over again that just sailed right through. And it was just such an amazing experience, like, the whole learning curve, the ramp, the little twist in the middle, uh, culminating in the final boss battle, and I was just blown away by it, and of course I got Portal 2, and, and arguably Portal 2 is a more accomplished game, but Portal 1, you know, the same reason you pick Half-Life instead of Half-Life 2, right? They're both great games, and arguably Half-Life 2 is a better game if you look in the isolation, but the first one gets it in this case. Uh, Portal is my pick.
5: You didn't say my three favorite things about the game, which are the companion cube, the voice acting for GLaDOS, and the song at the end. All yeah, of which are, like... That just that song alone gives it a better soundtrack than ninety-five percent of computer games.
0: Well, that's like the, that's like your reward at the end if you are a crazy Jonathan Coulton Colton fan like I am, and it's a wonderful song that has that has a life outside of uh, his, you know, his f- fandom of his music or whatever. But that that rolls over the credits right during the rest of the game. Yes, that the voice acting for everything, the voice acting for everything from the turrets to, to Gladys herself. That it's just it's all amazing and like the cues line up nicely. You never feel like you're. You, it's like a repeated sound or. They're playing a sound clip over and over again, like an RTS is when you click on a unit and it says some stupid thing and drives you crazy. That never happens in this game. It feels totally organic. It's amazing.
5: That's true. There's just enough turrets. So it's fun when you get one that says, I don't hate you as you kill it.
3: Poor mm-hmm. little turret.
6: And in the time we've discussed it, you could have played through the entire thing.
3: <laughs> it's a great right? game. It is very short. I mean, I did play it in one sitting, you know, the first time I ever played it. I think I played it in two sittings. It took me about...
4: What, three hours, maybe?
3: But it did, you know, it was a, a it was a, one of the yeah. deciding factors in me going out and getting a, a 360. Didn't it start as a student project, right? It wasn't it's as...
4: Narbacular
0: drop, right?
3: In the original version, you could shoot portals through portals, and they, they took that out, because that... that <laughs> I think that made things very confusing. Now, John, did you know... You mentioned the website Old Man Murray before. Did you know that the writers of that website were the writers for Portal? I did. There you go. Yeah. For
5: some games, three hours is the right length. They don't all have to be a...
4: Civilization. I, you know, I'm not disagreeing with that. I think that's 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 a good quality in a game. I, there's a lot of games I have played more recently that I've like. Yeah, I don't want to sit down and play 40 hours a game right now. I want to play like a game the last couple hours.
5: Yeah, thanks Skyrim, but I don't want to run over that mountain again.
0: <laughs> they had gone through all the mechanics. By the time you've done that, you've, they've done all the mechanics you can do. They've like You don't want to go, okay, now let's do 17 levels where I use this particular trick to, with the portals. Once you learn the trick once, you don't need to like prove it to them over and over again. And the story comes to a reasonable conclusion. And there's the little sort of the twist, and it gives you the rest of the gameplay, which I don't know if it's half of the gameplay, but it feels like a breaking point, and then you're on to something different, and it has a satisfying ending.
3: I mean, all games kind of teach you how to play the game, but Portal is particularly successful in teaching you how to play Portal and then letting you enjoy that once it kind of lets you go.
0: Although I've had many non-gamer, I've tried to make many non-gamers play Portal and Portal teaches gamer gamers how to play the game. It is, yeah, it's it's kind of, you think, wow, it teaches you how to play the game. Then you put a non-gamer in front of me and say, no, no, it doesn't.
3: I feel like there's a part pretty early on where you like spin multiple ways and it's like, that's going to make anyone who hasn't, you know, logged a hundred hours in front of an SPS nauseous, you know, you need the right
5: kind of spatial thinking. Yeah.
3: You know, you need to have spent a, a hundred hours playing doom or have been an astronaut. Either of those. <laughs> will be I was both. My marathon time <laughs>
1: qualified me That's a marathon time. All right, John, that's a good one. That was on my list. I had 13 things on my list and in the first round so far, only one was taken and that was portal. So good job. Uh, my pick is going to be a uh, computer game, although it has been on many other platforms as well. I think it can. It was developed for the, everybody's favorite computer platform, the Electronica 60, then ported to the Commodore 64. It was invented in 1984. <laughs> it is one of my favorite computer games of all time. It is Tetris. Come on, ah. Tetris.
5: Woo. That's a Mac game, right?
1: And, well, I played it on the Mac. It was. It's an everything game. I played it on the Mac. That I will tell you, my college years, mm-hmm. I spent more time playing Tetris on my Mac than writing papers. A lot more. <laughs> a lot more. <laughs> um, I had a boss early on in my career who I would uh, come into her office and find her playing Tetris and have to shame her into getting back to doing her job. That was an interesting welcome to the working world. But, you know, writers, we, sometimes we, we uh, have to put our brains somewhere else for a little while until inspiration strikes. Um, I still play Tetris. I love it. Um, I'm not really satisfied with Tetris on touch devices. It, I, it doesn't work as well. I think you really need the keyboard um, or, you know, a bunch of buttons that you can hit and that space bar dropping the, uh, the Tetris pieces to the bottom of the screen. Fantastic. Crazy, um, crazy music that I love. And uh, if you haven't looked, many uh, college marching bands have done Tetris performances where portions of the band form various falling Tetris pieces as they play the music from Tetris. So I I had to pick it. I can't believe it's still there. I had a moment of revelation yesterday (laughs) where I thought, oh, that's what my pick should be. It should be Tetris. So I got Tetris. I'm going to waste all my time playing Tetris. Too bad for all of you. There you go, Tetris. Time for a very brief break to talk about our sponsor in this episode. It's Squarespace. You know them, you love them, you've heard about them, Maybe you don't really understand what makes Squarespace so cool. It is an all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to make your own professional website, portfolio or online store. Basically, you've got something you want to put on the internet. You want to build a website. You want to show off your work on a portfolio, you want to sell stuff. It's hard. You got to register a domain, you got to build web pages and templates and do some design and do some coding and hook up with uh, an e-commerce platform and boy, it can get really complicated. But Squarespace makes it easy. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and enter in the offer code SnellSentMe5 at checkout. Snell sent me and the number 5. Making a Better Web starts with your website, and that starts with... Squarespace. You know, it's hard. I've been building websites since the 90s, and boy, I wish I had something like Squarespace back then, because you have to build every single page yourself. You're you're in the code, digging around. You've got to make multiple versions and variations of templates, and knowing the code's not enough, you've got to make it pretty. The standards on the web today are even higher than they were back in the old times when I was building websites with my hands and I liked it and I went uphill both ways. It's easier now, and one of the reasons it's easier now is because of Squarespace, because um, they make the design part easy. They're drag-and-drop tools to make it even easier. They've got a lot of fantastic templates you can use. They're responsive, so... Your design on the desktop and your design on an iPhone or an iPad is going to look good and appropriate on both mobile devices and devices with big screens because they've got both versions. Now, they've got great tech support. It's 24-7 support. They've got staff in New York City and in Dublin. They do live chat. They do email. They've won awards for that. So award-winning templates, award-winning support responsive design the brand new commerce system this new online store every site can have an online store it's easy it's built in and plans start at eight dollars a month and that includes that domain name i mentioned a free domain name is yours if you sign up for a year up front they'll give you a domain name for free what a deal so here's what you do you need to start a trial with squarespace you can start today you don't need to give them a credit card they're not going to pester you you can start building it today by just signing up at Squarespace. They won't take your money and pre-charge your credit card, and you won't forget to cancel, and they'll charge you none of that. No credit card necessary. And then when you sign up, after you are delighted by how Squarespace works for you, be sure to use that offer code I mentioned, Snell sent me 5 Snell sent me and the number 5 to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for The Incomparable. So thank you so much to Squarespace for supporting 5x5, for supporting podcasts everywhere, for making it easy to make a better website, and for sponsoring the incomparable. Squarespace, a better web, starts with your website.
3: I think one of my favorite Tetris moments was they had a a version of Tetris for the Nintendo DS that actually had a multiplayer mode where, as you would complete stuff, it would drop lines on other people and the number of eight-person games of that. Yeah, for the
6: Nintendo DS. You're making us feel
0: old, man. That mode slightly predates the DS.
6: Just a little. Well, yeah, but people Uh. would play it at LAN parties with the Nintendo DS. You don't need a LAN party for the Nintendo DS. It doesn't
3: need a LAN. Uh, Actually, it did. The the first version of it before it had any kind of friends friends social stuff.
0: You're thinking of the DSI, which the I was for internet. Oh.
3: Yeah, there you go. See, I'm talking just Nintendo DS.
0: All right, so uh, we have we have t-
3: we have time for half a round now. <laughs> 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 let's let's argue more about the Nintendo DS technical specifications. Yeah, let's please. Yeah, that really excites
1: me. Uh, Dan Morin, wake up! Hey, back
3: around <laughs> to the top. Oh
4: God, I've had a great nap good sitting here playing games on my iPad well you know um yeah so john john was making noises about uh mac gaming so i think i'll pick a mac game for my next one ah uh, he shamed you into uh, it huh no i mean it was on my list i just i you know now i'm worried he might try to snake it i don't know uh i'm going to pick i played a lot of games growing up and a lot of those games were made by ambrosia um the venerable mac software maker who i think now is basically out of business um but the one that I have the fondest memory of is Escape Velocity, um, which is a fantastic uh, space adventure trading slash, you know, combat space game. You buy a little spaceship, you start in your little space shuttle, and you fly around and you move goods back and forth for a while until you can afford a better ship. And as you go along, you might encounter pirates, and in later versions of the games, uh, rebels and. Uh, there's all these different plots you can sort of get sucked into. It's got kind of a, not quite a text adventure, but it does have that sort of almost like point and click adventure element to it. Um, And this is another one of those games that I used to play sort of collaboratively with friends to the point where in more recent years I've revisited it and we have like, my friend now will accept like the spreadsheet so we can like figure out like, all right, if we buy this good, like really cheap here, can we sell it here and it doesn't make sense? Like, we're going to spend too much money in fuel jumping back and forth a bunch of times. Um, and you could upgrade your ship as you want. You could even acquire like an entire fleet of ships. Um, I don't, I don't know if I ever technically beat (laughs) any of these games. There are three of them. Um, but, like they did definitely suck up a ton of time because you could put like so much time into like jumping back and forth between like two different systems to to raise all this money to like make like trick out your ship in this awesome awesome way um, although as as I d- was discussing this game with Tony a couple a uh, few days ago, pointing out that like it was very possible that you could get like either run out of fuel in some totally uninhabited system and start trying to like beg people for fuel as they came past, which didn't always work great. Or that, like, you start it in your shellcraft and be like, "Aha! I've got the great new shellcraft!" And then just someone would just blow you up. So we all we always had to invest in an escape pod. Like first thing you did. Um, but it was a very it was a sprite based game, and you could actually. I remember in the first version I had, you could go into ResEdit and you could start changing the colors on all the sprites. So my friends and I started trying to build an expansion at one point, which was very very in depth we were like programming all the strings and making like we couldn't really make sprites so we just take their sprites and change the colors um but we thought that was the awesomest thing in the world um and it's it's a lot of fun i really i really want someone to remake it for the ipad um, cause there are, there are similar yeah, games, but it
0: seems so obvious, right? Cause it's touch base, like it's top down, it's touch base, it's a static screen. It's right there. right?
4: Yeah. I would love to play that game again on the iPad. Um, I always wanted a version with multiplayer. I realized that would probably have been kind of challenging, but I loved the idea of it as a, I mean, before, you know, things like MMOs existed, this idea that you had this vast universe and that somewhere out there, someone else might be flying their little shuttlecraft around for the first time. So um fantastic game if you haven't played it i think it i think at least ev nova still runs on os 10 i don't remember if they backported the original versions to run without the uh classic environment but um fun super fun games shareware
0: did you ever get the uh, star wars mod for it
4: oh i remember it i i probably downloaded it
0: you could have a star a star destroyer with x-wings that came out it was unbelievable
4: yes yes (laughs) i did have that it was pretty great yeah there were a lot of great mods for those they were pretty cool so, yeah, I don't know. I, I, that's one of my my fondest memories of Mac games ever, and I played it. I mean, I think so. Eevee Nova, which I think is the most completed of them, came out in 2002. But the earliest one came out when I was still in high school, I think. So I have my little postcard somewhere still, which has my license code on it.
1: Very nice. Escape Velocity. Mac game. Good. Good. Looking better now. Monty, pick another text adventure or something else.
5: I have decided not to pick all text adventures, although that was certainly an option. Tempting, yes. <laughs> instead, I'm going with a great game, one that I may have played more than any other computer game. It's been mentioned a couple times already. It is Doom. Uh, Doom. It's very, very similar to
0: Trinity. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yes, except instead of figuring out how to conceal yourself inside a frozen soap bubble, you are running around shooting demons. Very similar. It is of course a first person shooter, not the first first person shooter, but the first really good one. Unfortunately, it didn't really have 3 dimensions. You couldn't shoot up or down. There things would be positioned above you, but nothing could go directly below or above them, which meant that you never had to look you were never able to tilt your head, which means all the time I spent playing Doom has ruined me for every other first person shooter.
0: <laughs> Don't blame it on Doom. I blame Doom. We played it, too. We can, were able to play modern FPSs.
5: I'm just going to assume you're lying and continue on. <laughs> uh, Doom introduced things like death matches and level editors so people could create their own Doom levels
4: and also mods, which, of course, uh, took over Half-Life 2 later on. And cheats. I don't know if I've had to that, but God mode. Like God mode always sticks out for me. It's I D S P I S P O P D, if you want God
5: mode in Doom. Uh, I remember I had a really fun mod that turned everybody into Simpsons characters, and when you shot the regular demons, they looked like Moe, and they would say, I'm choking on my own rage here, and then die. It was charming. I played Doom so much that I got to the point where I could turn off the monitor and still get through a level. I also invented (laughs) pacifist mode, where you'd have to get to the end of the game without killing anything, which is very difficult especially on the very last level where you have to kill these barons of hell. So I just (laughs) punched them to death. It may have been the only game I had. I'm not sure why I played Doom so much, (laughs) but I played it pretty much constantly for about two years. Wow.
1: Wow. Did the rest of the world start to just look like Doom?
5: Yes.
4: When it it wasn't looking (laughs) like Trinity.
5: I remember once I was driving along the highway and there were a bunch of those orange barrels on the side of the road and I automatically changed lanes to the left because I worried they would explode (laughs) if somebody (laughs) shot a fireball at them.
3: Wow. Wow.
1: Doom had barrels, not crates. Not crates. They're like Mm -hmm. like crates. They're the crates of Doom. They're very much like
6: crates. Exploding barrels, that's key. All right, Doom, that's a classic. It's on the list. It's in the vault. But as with crates, there were two varieties. There were the ones that blew up and then there was the ones that you couldn't Destroy no matter what you did. You could shoot the BFG at them, and they just sit there. Strangely, the indestructible barrels were the ones that were on fire. If
5: mm. the
6: barrel wasn't on fire, it would blow up. The demons from hell were a little smarter. They just fashioned a suit of armor out of flaming barrels, and you'd be indestructible. Yeah. Oh, and I wanted to say, Doom does have technically have a plot.
5: Barely, yeah, because you're on Mars, and you're on Mars, and hey, hey, they made a movie out of it. Come on, everybody <laughs> has been turned into demons. That movie. Could have been worse.
6: <laughs> Interesting pieces. <thesis. Interesting>. Wow. <laughs> we'll save that for our episode about Doom in the movie. Save that for Game Show 3 for Defending and Defensible. Yeah, um, oh, man. There
3: better not be a video game movie draft. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> oh, now, why do you have to suggest... Oh, that. Don't that give him the, ideas. We're draft all the wow. things, Tony. It, it'll happen eventually. That is the worst uh, idea ever. I mean, technically, everything can be drafted. It's just should
1: everything <laughs> everything should it be? Yes, that's right. Uh, you make a strong moral argument there, Tony.
4: Yeah, the, the yeah, you pull out the Jeff Goldblum quote from, quote from Jurassic Park. You spent so much time thinking about whether or not you could,
1: Erica. It's your turn.
2: Okay, well, I'm actually going to call an audible. I just added one to the list that I didn't have already. After John Syracuse was talking about Mac games, I remembered that uh, my mom was an elementary school music teacher and was able to bring home uh, the Mac that she used at school over the summers. So while we didn't own a Mac, I actually had access to one to play with quite a bit when I was young. And one of the very simplistic little games that was that was loaded on there also uh doubles as meeting my contractual Doctor Who obligation. Ooh, for I know what you're gonna making pick. mentions on the podcast. <laughs> I'm going to pick Daleks. Daleks. It was Yes. A very, very simple uh, keyboard-based game. Uh, You had a little character and you were surrounded by, in the first level, just a very few little tiny Daleks. And they actually looked like little Daleks from Doctor Who. And you had to move left, right, up, down. um, And you were basically just trying to get the Daleks to crash into each other because apparently these Daleks are just as dumb as the ones on the TV show sometimes are. And if you Made all of the Daleks crash into each other, and then you would get to the next level where there were more Daleks. What a reward. It was fantastic. Uh, if they got too close to you once on every level, you got to use your sonic screwdriver, um, which for some reason did something to the Daleks. I don't know why that would be. But, hey, who cares? You got rid of all the Daleks that were close to you. And you could kind of like...
5: That's probably happened at least once on the show, right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> And then and then, if they get too close, you can sort of warp yourself. I think it was supposed to be a, a nod to the TARDIS, although there was no TARDIS involved. Um, and just jump to another square on the board. But sometimes that was right next to a Dalek and you would die. And I spent lots and lots and lots of time playing that game. And yeah, Daleks. There you go. I,
0: I played that game before I knew enough about Doctor Who other than it was the boring thing on PBS that I immediately changed channel when I saw it, so I had no idea. I had no idea that a sonic screwdriver, it made no sense to me in the game. Like, why is it called a screwdriver? That makes no sense. I had no idea what a Dalek was, nor did I know how to pronounce it. We called it Daleks.
2: <laughs> That's adorable.
0: I didn't know who Doctor Who was at all, and that game made such an impression that some friends of mine made, like, a modern OS 10 like, port of that game, just because they couldn't get it out of their head. I don't think it sold very well, but it's out there.
5: For me, the lame British science fiction show that I flipped past on PBS was Blake 7, which aired after Monty Python. I don't know if anything ever happened on that show.
2: Um, It it did, but it was always in a quarry. <laughs> yes, I actually just finished a rewatch of Blake 7 as well.
1: Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, Monty, you're not dealing with amateurs here. This is the professionals. Yeah, <laughs> I, I knew that. I knew that you'd seen. I've never seen Blake 7, actually. Uh, Daleks. That was according to Wikipedia. That was originally a uh, Unix game called Robots, and then they, <laughs> and then and then somebody said, "Hey, I got a good idea."
2: <laughs> Does anybody know? Did they? Did, was there actually permission given from Terry Nation's estate uh, to use oh, the the likeness right. of the Daleks? Do- because I mean, his estate, er, him at the time, super litigious about the use of the Daleks. So I was just kind of always curious about that. If that was legit or or what?
5: His estate would have to know what was happening in the U.S. to. Actually, do something about it.
2: <laughs> oh, he knew what was happening with the Daleks pretty much anywhere.
1: Uh, on the, I think it was on the far off, weird reaches of uh, of like shareware, you know, yeah. trading oh. and things. And it never today today it would be a bigger problem, right? But back then, In
6: early days, computer games. I don't think anybody outside of the the computer game field actually believed they existed.
0: Especially especially Mac games. Who even had a Mac? There were all those Star Trek games that you'd
4: play where you had to. Oh yeah, Net Oh, yeah, Nettrek. I played some Nettrek.
1: And it was all digitized Star Trek sounds, and then they did a box version that was like the official version, and they had to remove all of the uh, Star Trek sounds and make their own sound effects, because they were afraid that
6: now they were legit and they were going to get sued. I mean, there were half a dozen arcade games that used TIE Fighters as an enemy type, so... Sure. All right, Daleks.
1: A surprise pick, a Mac, yeah. a Mac game from Erica. That was not the slot that I figured you would uh, fill there.
2: It surprised me too. All right.
1: Well, you get the Doctor Who quotient. So you went, you know,
3: you swerved, yep. but you swerved in a, into a place that makes sense. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Tony, I would like to draft uh, a, a game from the venerable Lucas Arts, who we have already mentioned. Uh, I would like to draft Grim Fandango from the late '90s.
6: Oh, Tony. What are you doing to me, man?
3: I am like you, but one step ahead of you.
6: Um, <laughs> <laughs> also, eat it, lots Only by dice roll.
3: Well, no. that's that's all it takes, man. Well, welcome to the real world, as determined by dice. Be luckier, Steve. Um, so, uh, Steve, I'll let you talk about Grim Fandango, too. But first, I'm going to talk about it. Uh, Grim Fandango uh, was probably kind of the last great adventure game of it was certainly the last adventure game made by Lucas Arts who decided that even though people really liked it that that uh, that genre was failing. Uh, my first uh, draft of my of uh, my draft of my draft list um, for th- for this was basically all Lucas Arts adventure games, and I was like, hmm probably shouldn't just only draft Lucas Arts adventure games if anything that would be extremely predictable um, so I chose that as kind of the last big one that was put together um, but i love I love many Lucas Arts adventure games. I simply picked that one as the last one um Grim Fandango is great. You should go out and play it right now. Uh, Let me sell you on it. Uh, Grim Fandango merges uh, film noir with uh, graphic adventure games, which are all based around the idea of you explore worlds and you find objects and you combine them together to solve puzzles. I like puzzle games a lot. I like puzzles. Uh, Grim Fandango is set in this very kind of weird um, film noir slash Mexican Day of the Dead world, where you play Manny Calavera, who is kind of a Grim Reaper, but also a travel agent for the dead. Um basically when you die in the world of Grim Fandango, uh you show up in kind of this purgatory type world and a travel agent tries to sell you a ticket to get to your final reward and depending on how good you've been and you know who your travel agent is, you get different modes of transportation. Manny Calavera figures out that there's like a conspiracy where people are being tre- uh cheated out of their just rewards and goes on a film noir exploration uh to try and find, you know, the uh Conspiracy and the organized crime boss who's behind it. Along the way, he has to open up a nightclub because it's film noir inspired, um, and he travels with a speed demon named glottis Gladys. and interacts with all these kind of weird, uh, strange uh, Day of the Dead skeletal creatures. Um, and yeah, Steve, say something.
6: Yeah, I call Grim Fandango the pinnacle of uh, of adventure gaming. I I haven't played a game better uh, in the adventure realm. Um, the setting is great. The plot is fantastic. The music is wonderful. The art design is amazing. As Tony said, it's all based on Mexican Day of the Dead. So, uh, you know, you're a Calaca walking around. You know, those, uh, if you're familiar with the, the Dia de los Muertos sort of carved figures that look like skulls, and they always have a lot of flowers and things on them. Um, hilarious voice performances, especially by Tony Plana, who plays Manny. Uh, there's a sequence at the end where your your trusty sidekick is ailing, and it makes you weep bitterly, which is always a plus. Uh, yeah, it's just utterly superb. Tim Schaffer's defining achievement, I think, and uh, it's really a pity that it's not better known and it's it's not been remade because I I think a lot of the problem was basically they were they're sort of tweaking the interface and trying to come up with a way that they could make the interface utterly disappear into the game world. So they had you, instead of clicking and pointing, which everybody was used to, they had you walking around with the arrow keys, and you had to watch for his head to turn to find the, the hot spots in the game. And that was, I think, a bit more than a lot of people were willing to chew. And uh, in order to get your stuff out of your inventory, you actually had to watch him pull one thing at a time out of his vest pocket, which got pretty old when you had 30 things in there. So, Especially uh, you could have, for some reason, there was like a,
3: early on, there was a clown that you could talk to who would make balloon animal versions of poets and i think you would be carrying them around for yeah. So, and you'd have like a kitty and then you'd have like robert frost and i think (laughs) run you pigeons is robert frost yeah you could have like five of them and if you didn't use them you were just carrying them around for the rest of the game so you'd cycle through your inventory and every time you'd be like robert frost and it's like i'm never going to use this in this game (laughs) and it squeaks it squeaks
6: when you pull it out it actually so it's doubly Um, annoying But great story, uh, great
3: puzzles as far as adventure games go. Um, amazing graphics, um, and it's it's kind of sad that it didn't do very well. And Lucas basically decided that adventure games were kind of dead as a as a genre, and they they pulled out of that because they they those some of my favorite games of all time are are adventure games. Of, of my list of you know ten computer games for my draft, I've got like four adventure games on there. So.
6: By the way, if you can find the disc somebody has made in the vein of ScumVM, which is used for the earlier LucasArts games, there's something called Residual VM, which will play both Grim Fandango and, to a lesser extent, Escape from Monkey Island. So it's, it's fairly easy to play. You just have to get your hands on a disc. And they've fixed some of the interface issues as well. There's, there are various hacks that kind of fix some of the bugs that were left lingering in the game. So good way to go.
5: If you guys were just fans of Monkey Island, that thing gets re-released all the time. It's on Xbox Live Arcade. That game's great. Go play that now.
6: All right. I'm just worried they're going to give Manny a flat top in the re-release.
1: I live not too far from from where LucasArts used to be, but now it's not there anymore. Or
3: anywhere, really. (laughs) An office there that handles, like... Contracts licensing agreements
1: I, I visited when they were in business i I visited them once and I, and every time I drive past I drove past there like two days ago and I was like oh yeah that's that's where it was, but it's not there anymore.
5: I had a friend who worked for Lucas Games or LucasArts and he took me to the July fourth party at Skywalker ranch
1: been there too, yeah, not bad when I went to Skywalker ranch, Tim Burton was at the next table. he was doing the sound editing for mars attacks and if i'd if i'd known, I could have leaped over the table and you know, killed him or something. (laughs) Wow, you really hate the sound design in that. Wow, <laughs> uh, yes, that's, that was my problem with it—the sound design. He's just—he's just a guy doing a job, Jason. Yeah, have you seen Mars Attacks? It's really bad. Anyway, it is. Anyway, yeah. But yeah. Do people yeah. have to die? Do you think people need to answer for that? That there needs to be a tribunal? But to your earlier point, Tony, uh, mommy, I want to grow up and be in video games. Oh, do you want to be a programmer or a designer? No, I would. I'm interested in getting into the licensing of intellectual property. <laughs> Anyway, Steve, it's yeah, your man. turn and you can't pick Grim
6: Fandango wow. or Half-Life. Going after Tony is sort of like getting two picks in a row. <laughs> I know. <It's, laughs> this is not right. All right. Uh, let's see. I got roughly 30 games on my yeah. list, so I, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to get to I a I don't haul. think so. All right. So I'm going to leap to this one. Uh, this is a, this is more recent. This is out 2000, of 2002. It's The Elder Scrolls three Morrowind. Uh, the reason I pick Morrowind this is the RPG that I dreamed about from the moment I played my first PC game. Uh, it's just this unbelievably open world, and you're given free reign of it. Um, there's this amazing moment at the beginning of the game where you've, you've gotten off this prison ship. Uh, you've wandered through this administration building, which acts as the character generation tool. The whole thing is fairly linear. It's basically standard RPG kind of stuff. And then they dump you into the village of Seda and they say, have fun. You're on your own. Enjoy. And so you're in this, this well-realized, beautiful, very alien world uh, that's not you know overly indebted to the sort of standard Forgotten Realms kind of fantasy stuff. Uh, and you're absolutely free to do whatever the heck you want. You're, you're told to go see this dude over in Balmora, but that's like 50 miles away, uh, so you can walk there, or you can take this gigantic bug that uh, is for fast travel, but the cool people walked. Um, and uh, if you want, you can just wander the land and pick herbs for hours on end. You can uh, you can poke. That's what I did. Well, it's fun because you, you can make potions and stuff after a while, uh, or you can poke through the dozens of caves that are dotted throughout the landscape. And the amazing thing about that is, each of them is different and filled with specific monsters. It's not just random encounters. Uh, you know, some of them are more interesting than others, but once in a while you'll wander into one where there's this whole side quest that has absolutely nothing to do with the, the main plot of the game. It's just this cool little thing that's going on in this world, and you happen to have wandered into it. Um, you can join any of a number of different guilds, some of which will result in you being attacked by members of other guilds. Um, there's over 300 books of lore scattered around the world <laughs> on various bookshelves. And if, if you're into that sort of thing, you can sit around and read for several days. Um, it has a pretty cool plot that, you know, is fairly standard. It involves you becoming the savior of all the realm, but uh, you can choose to totally ignore it if you want. Um, basically you're just, you're given the ultimate geek toy box and you're given a sword to chop it all up with. And uh, it's, it's a huge deal of, uh, a huge, lot of fun. It, uh, it lasts as long as you want it to. Uh, if you just want to play through the plot, it lasts kind of a long time, too. So um, you get to put a bit of time into it. But it's it's well worth it.
2: You are totally selling me on this game, because all of those things are the things I liked about Ultima 7. Like, I could go and bake bread for a day.
6: <laughs> I think it owes a lot to Ultima. It does, uh, in terms of just the open-worldness of it. That's was really one of the greatest things about the Ultima series, is that from the very start, you could go to any town you wanted to. Because all of the monsters were fairly lightweight, and they would just build them up by uh, you know, throwing more, more of them at you when you had a bigger party. And uh, Morrowind follows a lot of the same sort of templates. But it also throws in the things like the bread baking, and uh, it, you can follow your own kind of lifestyle and not even be an adventurer if you want. You could just go hang out in town, and uh, you want to be a thief, you can sneak into people's houses and steal their stuff and I really thought I would enjoy, I tried playing Skyrim
4: and I, I just couldn't get into it. Mm. I don't know. I like the idea of it, but when I went to sit down and play it, I just found, I found it kind of blah. but maybe. I liked Skyrim. Yeah. I, a lot of people like Skyrim. I just, I don't know. Couldn't get into it.
5: I found Morrowind so an open world, nonlinear experience that I hated it. I, <laughs> I had the experience Steve described where you get off the boat and you go through a building and then you're in a town and you can do anything you want. And I wandered in a direction and picked mushrooms for an hour. And (laughs) then I couldn't find the town again.
2: What kind of mushrooms were they?
5: (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) And then I started the game again and paid close attention. And it said, go in this direction. I went in that direction and I got lost and I picked some flowers. (laughs) And What kind of flowers were they? I don't know. There was no,
6: for me, goal or reason to keep playing. So I stopped. Yeah, it takes a little getting 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 into before you have any direction in it, and I, I understand it's a very overwhelming game for for people who are used to more uh, directed experiences. So definitely not for everyone, I would say. Oh. But uh, I I just loved it every minute of it. All right. I liked Oblivion, and I like Skyrim too. But both of them seemed like they were a little less complex and sort of dumbed down to be more console happy. Oh Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I'm already
5: in an open world where I can do anything I want. I don't like that. That's why I'm playing computer games. Yes.
2: You can do anything you want, you lucky bastard! Really? Uh,
5: yeah. All right, I could I could go pick mushrooms right now if I wanted to. <laughs> That's right. What kind of mushrooms, Monty? Uh, actually, Amanita muscaria. They grow on the lawn of my the house
1: I just moved out of. I don't. Why did I? Why did I ask? Mm-hmm. <laughs> John, it's your turn. They're very recognizable. That's mm. how I know
5: that. <laughs> they look like the Mario mushrooms. After <laughs> <laughs> I I you know, we eat those
0: other mushrooms, these ones look like the Mario mushrooms. Yep. All right. My next pick, uh, I'm going to actually go with my strategy that I described before and start picking Mac games. And boy, there are a lot to choose from, and I really don't know if this will be my last pick, but I guess i have to make it good. Um, I guess I'll skip to this one. I'm going to pick Crystal Quest Ooh. from 1987. This is a game that no one had ever heard of until it was ported to the Xbox, I guess, in 2000. Uh, it was a Mac game. For a while, it was sort of the only popular Mac game. This is this is a time when uh, this game, which is a top-down uh, kind of abstract game on a screen, uh, a static-level screen, uh, the background doesn't move. You do not wrap around when you hit the edges. It's just what you see on the screen. And this is the original Mac game, so the original black-and-white Mac screen. This game, and on the Mac 2, I guess, in color, this game got a, a full two-page spread in, in either Macworld or MacUser Magazine. I forget which. Those guys are <laughs> hacks. Yeah. It was it was like, Don't you know, me. such an important event in the world of Mac gaming, this arcade-style top-down game where nothing moves. Uh, so you control the circle, essentially. <laughs> I'm not sure if it was supposed to be a ship or a disc or whatever, um, but the way you control is what made the game this was the first game that showed i guess 1987 yeah i think pretty much the first game anywhere that showed that the mouse could be used as a great gaming input device uh this game could not work with a joystick would not work with a joystick so forget it or keyboard forget about that you could probably pay with play with a centipede style trackball but it wouldn't be the same uh and what you controlled was like I don't know what the the exact physics of it were, but you you controlled like your velocity vector, and it didn't just matter which direction you pushed the mouse, it mattered how fast and how hard you moved it. So you weren't moving the circle around the screen, you were sort of, it's almost like you were controlling wind that was blowing this little circle around the screen. And you had to collect these little crystals, and once you collected all the crystals, the gate on the bottom opened up and you went through the gate and there were enemies. And that's it. That's the whole game. And it just got progressively harder. It was an arcade-style game. I mean, later on, the mouse would sort of come into its own as a gaming input device when, when first-person shooters became popular after Doom, because I don't think Doom had any kind of mouse control. But once Marathon came and certainly Quake and all those other things, it's like, oh, yeah, of course, the mouse is a gaming device. But up to this point, the Mac was the only computer that even had a mouse. Uh, and so, of course, it was the first computer to completely validate the Mac as a gaming input device. Uh, Crystal Quest was very simple game, arcade-style game, but pretty darn brutal. It was not forgiving, the difficulty ramped up quickly, and it was sort of the type of game where they ramped up the difficulty to the point where they hoped once the difficulty hit its max around level 40, uh, at which point the game never got any harder. They figured, well, no one can play at that level for very long, Uh, but they underestimated the amount of time children who only have a Mac (laughs) to game on would spend on this game, and I spent a lot of time playing this game. A lot of time playing like the after game which is after level 40 when it never gets harder how how that's where the real game really begins you <laughs> just play the same level over and over and over again i did i <laughs> that's where the
5: sewers live
0: yeah as, as all mac users did i used resident to make my own sprites for this game that was before they came out with the critter editor which was the official like way to make your own version of the game uh and and that had a level editor in it as well uh If you haven't played this game before, I would recommend not playing the Xbox port because you can't play this game with a thumbstick. Like, it has to be played with a mouse. And not only does it have to be played with a mouse, it has to be played... With, I think, a classic Mac style mouse because, on like if you play it in emulation, the mouse tracking is way off because you're on this tiny little, you know, screen in the middle of your vast screen. So,
4: listeners, dig up an old Mac style mouse, an ADB to UD USB converter, download an emulator, and you're just all set. It's really easy,
0: it really makes a difference.
4: Also, drink
5: Jolt Cola. <laughs> Basically, do a whole somewhere in time style room for that era.
0: Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's the type of game where, like, you know, you can't play it in emulation because everything is off about it in terms of the mouse control. And that's the the whole game is that mouse control, which is that's why it was so hard for people to play. It because, you know, like even first person shooters, you're moving the little crosshairs around and it feels kind of like a one to one, even though it's not. There is an acceleration curve. This game is nothing like that. If you've never tried it before, try it, die immediately. It had, it had great sound effects, kind of like the later Ambrosia games, you know, because the Mac had real sound uh it had interesting fun enemies with personalities it was an all-around well-designed game
1: all right Cursor quest i played that a little bit not a lot it was it was hard um but i did play that i'm going to pick an apple 2 game it, on many platforms i know but i learned about it on number
4: crunchers number cruncher
1: <laughs> uh i'm gonna pick load runner oh load runner nice um,
0: oh- Am I allowed to pick a different version of that game?
1: No. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it just because we aren't gonna have that many rounds. Um uh, I love Lode Runner. <laughs> Um, you're a little guy running around you can dig to your left and to your right and bad guys <laughs> fall in the holes and then are swallowed up. Uh, but if you fall in the hole, you could be swallowed up and you also can dig down and there it 's a puzzle game um, you're on you know you 're trying to figure out how to get all of the things that you need to get and get to the exit and not get killed by the guys who are trying to chase you and all you have is your little gun that can make the square to your left or your right if it 's a rock, go away. And infinite variation, lots of great levels, and a great level editor. The first time I ever had used a level editor, and that was actually really awesome. Um, all on my Apple II, played it for, this is a recurring theme here, played it for
6: way too long. <laughs> Might have actually been the first level editor, now yeah. that I
5: think about it. I think it was. It, according to my research earlier today, somebody said it was. All right, because it was
1: going to be my next pick.
0: Oh, all right. Oh, so three three of us had Loadrunner Runner on our list then. Yeah,
1: that's nice, Monty. You should you should groan when I say the name because then it makes me feel better about my. Pick. I did. Okay, good. And I called you a monster. Oh, you oh, monster? I missed that. Good. That'll be there in the editing. That'll be great. Can't wait to hear that. <laughs> I think that I think that was the voice in your head, yeah, Monty. <laughs> I didn't hear it either. Well, anyway, I love Load Runner. Played it a lot on the Apple II. That was the game I played the most on the Apple II, and so I pick it. Uh, let's do a quick third round and i mean quick and then we'll bring out our dead at the end because otherwise we're going to be here forever but uh, let's do one more round and try to make it lightning ish you
0: didn't want to let me say what i had to say about load runner
1: oh no say yes monty and john both talk about load runner please
0: all right so load runner was the first game that i cleared out meaning i completed all the levels, wow. you know, starting from the beginning, I, I, I made, <laughs> I, I made, you know, I made my own, I think I made more than there was 150 levels in the Mac version, I made my own levels, probably more than 150. Um, I understood everything about it, the AI, the players like it's not much to the game. But like, I totally cleared that game out. And my one, my one load runner story, my favorite thing about it is I got it, as I got most of my software on a floppy disk from my grandfather from his Mac user group meetings. So uh, and I copied under my computer and played it. And in the menu, There was a grayed-out item, a a, a disabled item that said pirate version, and you have no idea how much I wanted to play the pirate version of this game because I guess he would become a pirate and he'd be on ships or something. (laughs) I was obsessed with it, and that's the reason I finished the game because I'm like, if I just finish all 150 levels starting from level one, it'll probably let me play the pirate version. And it never did, because that disabled menu item was merely indicating the fact that the version of the game that I had was pirated. And that was a sad part of my growing up experience, and I still think about the potential of a pirate version of LoadRunner. <laughs> uh,
5: I played it on the IBM PC, where it was also super fun. Uh, decades later, I'm still angry at one level. I remember it being level 30, but I could be wrong, where you had to kill the enemies and hope that they would respawn in the right place to pick up a box that you couldn't reach yep. and then bring it back down to you. You'd have to kill them and they would either respawn there or in a little box to the left where you couldn't get at them anymore. And it didn't seem fair to me that there was a complete randomness to a level I had figured out. I just had to sit there waiting for the game to roll the right dice.
1: And, and uh, the version that I played on the Apple II, blue bricks, red enemies with white pants and uh <laughs> or legs whatever they were red on top and white on the bottom and uh you could use the right and left arrow keys to speed up or slow down time oh yeah so if you got if you, if you had it set sort of you knew that it was going to end and they were all going to die in the game and then you were going to win the level you just press the right arrow key a bunch of times and it would happen really fast
0: yeah, the Mac version had that feature as well. Yeah. The Mac version was all black and white, obviously, but very, you know, very fine graphics because the Mac had those tiny little pixels. It was yeah. very nice looking.
1: Yes, much more refined than the Apple II graphics.
6: All right, Lode Runner, yay! I'm Dan, still trying to get through minor twenty five forty nine or so I can play the elusive Broken by Mister Crackman level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The
1: uh, the Pirates of Puget Sound. The Pirates of Puget Sound are out there in Seattle somewhere. Uh, Dan, your turn. Uh, so many options, but we'll narrow it down Lightning. to, uh,
4: uh, yes, uh, for the PC, Sword of the Samurai. I don't know if anybody else besides me ever played this. It's a Microprose game from 1989 where you start out as a low-level samurai and you basically work your way up to trying to become like a daimyo, which is a lord, or eventually the shogun of all Japan. But the coolest thing about it was that it had a bunch of different modes, including a wargaming mode, where you're out like in a field leaving your armies, a melee mode where you're like running around in a top-down version where you're like running around in a city and shooting arrows and stabbing people with your little knife like or, uh, a Tetris style, or Tetris. Zelda style, um, and yeah, sorry, I'm getting tired over here. Tetra style, that would be awesome. Ten blocks on people's, people's heads, stuff of people, crates everywhere, um, and then. A mode where that's like actually like a samurai duel mode that's like where you're, it's kind of this wacky sword fighting mode where you have to like hit a couple of the buttons and sort of shimmy around the screen and like stab people with very precision sword strokes. And it was it was really cool because you built up all these different like resources in a way. It's it's kind of a strategy game, but it's got all these different elements, which I loved about it. Um, and I used to play it with my friend Sean on his PC when we'd take turns and eventually you would die and you have to come back as like your son or something like that. You were always being born as a samurai with very little honor. All right. Fantastic game, though. Good, good. Monty?
1: Um,
5: let me look at my list. Oh, I realize I already have two old-timey games in the text Adventure and Doom, and now I'm going even more old-timey. Huh. Oh. NetHack. I was really worried he was going to say, like, stick. Well, that's modern-timey, <laughs> too. They're still updating that Space thing. War. Uh, that's true. They're, there's a whole genre at this point called roguelike games that are all basically NetHack. Which you play a little at symbol and you run around an ASCII maze, usually nine rooms per level, and you kill letters. Uh, Capital D is a dragon, Uh, lowercase d is your faithful dog. I don't care whether it's hack or net hack or rogue, I'll play any of them, and it's always super fun.
1: All right. I have seen that. (laughs) It's from the days of (laughs) Unix. Yes. Unix! I I know know this.
5: this. (laughs)
2: <laughs> the only reason I know that game is from reading the uh, user-friendly webcomic, because they were the characters uh, were always playing NetHack in that comic.
6: Yeah.
1: Well, that tells you pretty much all you need to know about that game. Pretty much. <laughs> all right. NetHack, it's on the list. Erica, it's your turn.
2: Okay. Uh, well, I am going to go with uh, the, uh, let's see, the Journeyman Project uh, 3, whoa. Legacy of Time. Yes um and it is uh, despite my pick of the little daleks game um the games that i like the most are the ones that are the most story based and sort of like where i feel like i'm getting sucked into the game and i really liked the story of this one i never actually played the first two journeyman project games uh but this one involved time travel to three different eras um of destruction in the world where it turns out oh my god it was aliens that that you know destroyed Atlantis and shangri-la and uh, uh, but then back in in the quote-unquote modern times where where you come from uh, there are a couple some alien races that are, that are coming in and there was there's a little bit about it that kind of reminded me of Babylon 5 a little bit um, you've got these two different alien races both are, are claiming sort of different things and and I think my favorite part was the fact that the time suit that you wear has a little AI guy inside named uh, Albert. And he is just hilarious. You could you can turn him to give you clues to what to do next. And you, there are, like I think, three different settings. And I always just turned it to the easiest setting, not because I wanted the help. I actually didn't want the help. But he was so funny, and the writing for his character was so good that I wanted to make sure that I was hearing absolutely everything that he said without missing any of it. So I feel like, in a way, I sort of cheated on the game, but I was more fulfilled than I would have been if I would have gone through and figured it out on my own. So. I really, really enjoyed that game. And that was one that was, it didn't take nearly as much time as Ultima 7 did. You could actually play it through to the end in a reasonable amount of time and feel pretty good about it.
1: So, yeah. Wow. Journeyman Project 3. One of, uh, uh now I really am glennon because, uh, one of my friends in college married, uh, one of the designers on Journeyman Project 3, and he works at Pixar now. Oh, wow. Which is cool. And i Victor uh, Navone. Victor Navone, yes. And, uh, uh, they, uh, Yeah, that's uh, that's very cool. I
6: I played those. That's a dual Glenning,
1: by the way. Yeah, I know that's (laughs) uh, dual Glennage. That's that's very nice. And uh, uh, I play. Remember playing Journeyman Project the original when it came out, and I was blown away. That was one of the first really super intense rendered three D graphics games that I played on the Mac. Back in the Mm. right when I started do writing about Mac stuff, so that's cool. Dual Glennage, that was very exciting. Mm. (laughs) Well played, guys
7: hey hey you uh, we've invaded an episode of the incomparable together
4: not for the first time and not for the last time
7: well the second part is maybe true that's going to really depend on jason
4: well we should probably let people know that you're lax
7: and you're dan
4: they know that come on
7: <laughs> hey i've been on like 20 episodes of the incomparable they that's, know me
4: that's cute that's cute Thank apparently you. they just ran the stats i've been on 122
7: the um, I, I just made up my number, but I think it's somewhere around there. So why are we here, Lex? Well, you and I do another podcast that's on the incomparable podcast network of the stars.
4: How the heck do we have time to do that?
7: Uh, we don't. Excellent.
4: Great. It's a podcast about time travel. We do
7: it when we're supposed to be working.
4: <laughs> Sorry, Jason. <laughs> you don't not work me. for him anymore. That's totally <laughs> cheating. Anyways, our podcast, in case you haven't heard of it, is called Not Playing with Lex and Dan, because that is our names and we're
7: not very in creative. <laughs> Listeners of this program are familiar with the fact that uh, there was a, an ongoing joke on this uh, incomparable podcast that uh, Lex hasn't seen it that there are many, many movies that I haven't seen. And you, I believe, Dan, early on, joined in the mocking me.
4: Oh, absolutely, 100%, 120% if such a thing is possible. But what my dirty little secret is, though I have an encyclopedic knowledge of movies I haven't seen, there are many movies I, too, have not seen.
7: So uh, thus was not playing born on not playing. You and I watch movies together that most of the world has seen or most of the pop culture-enjoying world has seen. And uh, we haven't. So we watch them together for the first time. And uh, we talk about them.
4: Sometimes we talk over them, which is possibly annoying for you possibly entertaining hopefully more of the entertaining
7: the night yeah so the nice thing is you can get the, uh, the a version of the podcast that's a true commentary track so you can watch it with us as we experience the movie for the first time and if you don't feel like syncing up you know your movie and your your podcast app of choice you can just get the the capsule episodes instead where you hear what we know about the movie before we watch it and then what we thought of it afterwards it's basically an incomparable for people who uh, don't know what the hell they're talking about
4: the best part of the entertainment as far as i know, concerned is that you can silently make fun of us and judge us for all the movies that we haven't seen but that we really should have seen
7: yeah the 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 ability to mock us i think is one of not playing's finest features
4: i really feel like we should be advertising that more so let's start doing that now please come and make fun of us for not having seen popular movies
7: (laughs) and so far this season on the incomparable uh on the incomparable network we've watched what we saw what was the first episode of this season?
4: Wow, you're—it's really stuck in your mind. You're going to have to go back and rewatch these things. We have watched, so far, Fargo.
7: Fargo, yes. We've seen Moon. Yes.
4: And as you hear this, we will have just watched L.A. Confidential. That's a pretty good assortment of movies.
7: And if you go back to season one, there's plenty of movies that you can, uh, if you haven't heard those episodes yet, go check out when we watch Beverly Hills Cop or even The Karate Kid, which we watched for the first time, along with Jason Snell, who had never seen it.
4: Perhaps you've heard of him.
7: We're not shameless enough to avoid using Jason to pimp our own podcast.
4: Yep. So thanks for uh, tuning into The Incomparable, and we hope you'll come over and listen to Not Playing, also on the fine Incomparable radio network.
3: Uh, Tony, it's your turn. Uh, I would like to draft uh, Looking Glass Studios' classic game Thief the Dark Project which is another kind of first-person shooter um, that more or less created the stealth genre that Splinter Cell and Hitman and other games would go on to turn into lots of money. Um, But... Thief the Dark Project uh, was the first in a series of games uh, that are all set in this really cool steampunk medieval world uh, where you are a, a thief, surprisingly, um, and you are kind of at odds with different factions in this world. There's a group of kind of pagans who <clears throat> who worship nature and have a, a weird primal god and a, versa, a group of kind of religious zealots called the Hamorites uh, and... There's a kind of neat story with a series of heists, and you break into these elaborate castles slash mansions and uh, and find things. And inevitably, there's kind of there's a double cross, and you get pulled into stuff and and have to kind of uh, you know save the world uh, as it was. But um, really great game um, was kind of one of the first first person shooter games where you were not just necessarily having to shoot everybody, and you would sneak around. And it did really impressive stuff for the time with uh, lighting and, and and sound effects. Um, I remember playing it. I think. Uh, I was, like, home from college for a month uh, in winter and basically just stayed up all night playing this game and entirely shifted my sleeping schedule to sleep from, like, 9 a.m. to whenever, you know, I, I I woke up and started playing Thief again. And I just spent all my <laughs> night sneaking around in these, these dark, you know, uh, abandoned cathedrals trying to steal gems and, you know, occasionally getting... Scared uh, by zombies that I would not expect to find around a corner. Um, But yeah, Thief is a great game. The sequel to it, uh, Thief to the Metal Age, is also really great. Uh, The sequels to those, there have been two since, are uh, disappointing. Yeah, Thief the Dark Project, Looking Glass Studios. The first game I drafted that uh, apparently uh, Steve Lutz did not need to draft.
6: No, I, I have a Looking Glass game on my list, but it was not that one. Okay. Good so, somehow, I never got around to playing Thief. When you were living the
1: world of Thief, would you like walk into the room where the computer was and like leave the, the light off and stay in the shadows? And very. I played
6: in pitch black.
3: It's yeah. really scary I mean, when you play in pitch black, though. <laughs> I mean, I think I play. I probably played The Sims in pitch black. That was just you know who I was as a teenager. But a know, different. <laughs> yeah,
1: it was a little different. All right, that was great. And Steve, it's your turn.
6: Oh boy! Uh, since this is probably the last full round. Yep. Hmm. Decisions, decisions. I got two games from 1981, <laughs> and I think I'm going to go with... Roll a die. Eh, oh, it fell off the table. I'm just going to pick Castle <laughs> Wolfenstein. The original Castle Wolfenstein by Silas Warner huh. um, brought a lot to the table for a game on the Apple II in 1981, which was pretty early in the life cycle of, oh, the, yeah. of the computer. Oh, um, You're a prisoner in a Nazi castle. You overpower a guard and you take his gun. It's actually the same plot as Wolfenstein 3D, which came much later. Uh, The goal in this is to find the secret plans. What's that? It had fewer Ds, though. It had fewer Ds, three fewer, actually. Um, (laughs) Yeah, you want to find the secret plan and escape from the castle with your life. Um, The crazy thing was the castle rooms and the location of the guards were totally randomly generated. Uh, so, you know, of course, you didn't know what you were going to run into in any given room. Although I guess the layout of the castle was the same every time, which is something I never picked up at, at uh, on, uh, picked up on at age nine. Um, but it was very cool and very, very tense for a game with such rudimentary graphics and sounds. I mean, sometimes you could find a, a guard uniform, which would fool the standard guards, and you could sneak around them. But uh, then you'd run across these armored SS troopers, and they were much smarter, and they could pick you out and... Uh, you know, skulking past the guards and hoping to God an SS doesn't show up in the next room and rat you out was uh it was pretty pretty tense stuff back in nineteen eighty one. Um it also I think I think it probably qualifies as like the first ever stealth title. Uh I, I could even see it maybe as like the first survival horror game because you have very limited ammo and resources and it definitely was pretty scary. Um it and it also included I think one of the first uses, if not the first use of digitized voices. Uh, The guards will yell at Achtung when they spot you, or they will call you a Schweinhund when you flee the room. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually the the voices in um, Wolfenstein 3D, I think, kind of parodied that just a little bit. Um, And I think uh, probably the first hack that I can remember was based on Castle Wolfenstein. It was something called Castle Smurfenstein, (laughs) uh, in which, yes, they had (laughs) replaced all of the guards with Smurfs. Uh, who were almost actually more satisfying to kill than the Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they died more entertainingly, yeah. too. But uh, yeah, Castle Wolfenstein, fantastic game. Uh, if you got an Apple emulator and you haven't played it, give it give it a go because it's a uh, surprisingly advanced, complicated, fun game, and uh, I think still actually holds up. All right, Castle Wolfenstein. I had that one, too. I played that one a
1: bit on the Apple too john
0: okay my next pick is myth colon, uh, the fallen lords the original myth game yeah, i'll cross uh, that one I, off I, fine fine i never liked rts games and myth if you just if, if if you first look at myth it looks like it's an rts game uh but it, you know it, maybe it's like an rts game and the only interesting feature that you can see in the screenshots is it has 3d terrain which by the way is optionally hardware accelerated only, only if you have the correct card. Uh, but Myth was not an RTS. It was more of an RTT. It removed everything I hated about RTSs. There's no mining. There's no tech trees. There's no factories. There's no resources. You start the game with a fixed amount of points. You spend them on units that cost variable amounts, and then you fight until somebody wins. Uh, and the th- because of that the 3d terrain wasn't just some stupid frill in the game 3d terrain was the whole game it was crucial the whole game was about tactics arranging your troops working with the terrain what's in there the different features water uh different ground surfaces uh that was what the game was all about and when you lost one of your archers that guy was never coming back you can't build another archer and if you're down one archer against you know you have four archers and the other guy has five you've got a serious serious problem Uh, And, of course, they scaled all up to these big giants and everything, and every unit had different abilities, uh, and, you know, you could rotate around the, the battlefield in 3D and get different vantage points and zip from one place to the other. In some ways, it was rudimentary, and, like, the later games in the Myth series would sort of be what Myth was supposed to be, but, man, did I spend so long playing this game uh, and sequels on the internet over my 56k modem or whatever it was at that time just hours and hours and hours and it never got old like we didn't stop playing because it got too boring or whatever we just stopped playing i don't know because we got too busy or played other games but so i would I would play myth to this day i wish there was a like like ev i wish there was a port of this on the ipad that i could play right now
1: i agree i agree and then myth 2 soul blighter as well uh these are hard these were really hard. I used all the keys because you could you could set like all the number keys to be different formations as presets, and you had to. Oh
0: yeah, you had to. You had to. Yeah, like the control was fairly sophisticated in terms of the different form. Like it was, it was like playing Go. It's like comparing a regular RTS seems to me like checkers, and this was like Go because the the number of things you could do. And it's like, why did I lose that battle? We had the same amount of troops. They faced each other face to face. How did I lose? Like it, it would almost seem like it was random, but it was not. You had to to know how to play this game was very complicated.
1: Yeah, yeah, very hard. Graphics were beautiful. A camera, the camera was really hard to control as I re- I recall. The getting the perspective right was really hard. Does that sound right to you, John?
0: I I found it hard to win to win games. Uh, here's here's one of the like the Super Monkey Ball video that I saw that changed my life. The, the video that changed my life about Myth was I saw someone play through the entire it was the entire game or maybe just the entire uh final level without taking damage, which you would never imagine it would be a thing that is possible, and yet I saw it with my very own mm-hmm. eyes and it was not a cheat and I was amazed. That shows the level of mastery that like I said, it's like go.
1: Yeah. Great game. Um Wow, it's my turn. I have so many I have so many choices. I got the two big ones. I got the two that I really wanted. Um Okay, in in honor of sports games, I'm gonna pick SSI computer baseball which uh, was available on many platforms from Strategic Simulations Incorporated, which I think at one point was owned by Avalon Hill. Um, this was a, a a computer baseball game in which you did not play baseball like at an arcade. It was a, uh, a baseball manager simulation. So you would say what, whether you wanted to pitch or hit and change your pitcher, but you didn't have to like try to hit the ball. That was your player's job. And you could not only did it have, uh, I think, 20... Uh, teams from uh, throughout history world series teams from the 20th century Um, but you could also actually format a a, a disc as a team disc and get the stats from the baseball encyclopedia and enter in the content any other team you wanted from baseball history or type in the names of your friends give them 500 home runs and uh and then see what happened So, um, I played this game in seventh, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, I think a lot. And it is to this day, I think every computer I've ever owned since has had an Apple II emulator on it with a disc image of SSI computer baseball, um, which was great. It was also really hard to, to copy the file because they had really good copy protection. (laughs) That's what I remember is like the copy protection was so good that it actually was, uh, hard to, hard to save your your team disc because they had a weird disc format that they used but this is for me this is the um the basis of a lot of my interest in baseball um, and baseball statistics is coming from playing this game which was you know not not you know not an arcade game but a simulation game it was great
3: silence
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah baseball Woo.
3: Yeah, way, way to ruin you know something pure and unadulterated like video games with, with sports. Sports. Yep. sports, yeah. You had to do why it. Why don't you just go?
0: Why don't you go outside? But it's not even a sports game. It's a management of sports game. Simulating the manager, not the general manager, not the players. It's, it's like it's like if you played Half Life and your job was like you were a guy in the ammo depot and you manufactured ammunition <laughs> and put it into the crates that Gordon would find. I think
3: they may have covered that in one of the expansions, but so we we actually had a league in
1: um, elementary school. We had had a six-team league and a schedule, and we would we would, at lunchtime we would bring our little sandwiches to the computer room, and we would play computer baseball.
5: Jason, would you agree with me when I say that the baseball manager perhaps has the least to do with his team's success in any sport?
1: That's a wow! That's a really that's probably a question for a sports-related podcast, Monty. <laughs> there, there is, there is, um, there is some right. evidence to to show that 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 they have very little control except for the very best managers they have very little control over their team's win-loss record. I'm not sure whether that's more or less than other sports though. I would argue that like a basketball manager or coach has almost no they don't even they could just have like a tree a, a potted <laughs> potted plant on the sideline. They wear they wear suits though. They do. But but a baseball manager wears a uniform like he could just run right out there and start playing at any moment. <laughs> In the days of Pete Pete Rose, yeah. yeah, the player managers. Yes, that's right. There were some player managers. Good knowledge, Dan. Way to way to sport it up. Thanks.
4: Sorry, <laughs> right. I know I know, baseball as they say.
3: Guys, this is oh my yeah. god. Okay, <laughs> let's let's do anything other than this.
4: <laughs> <laughs> if you're just tuning in, you're listening to
3: Sports Talk. This is Jason and Dan trying one up each other on vague baseball things that I don't understand.
1: <laughs> all all of my all of my. Uh, um, all of my classmates chose classic, uh, victorious, um, stacked World Series teams from history. Is this still happening? <laughs> <laughs> and I took the 69 Mets, who were improbable and, quite frankly, not very good, although they did win the World Series. And I don't know why I did that. That was really stupid.
2: And when I get done recording here, I have to go out to my kitchen, where my kitchen table is taken up with an eight-foot Lego baseball yep. stadium, which is going to be there for at least a year. You're welcome.
1: Nice. I'm gonna take partial credit for that just for the community of baseball fans so anyway yeah you go let's on. uh let's move to the <sighs> clearance round when everybody can just p- tell me all the things they didn't pick clearance time Dan bring <laughs> out your dead bring out your dead all right I had might and magic two
4: um quake three arena
0: Ooh, I had that one
4: rainbow six. Um, and I added a few while I was listening, uh, Rescue, the Max Shower game that was basically a Star Trek ripoff and then forced to not be a Star Trek ripoff. Great game. Trek, which I don't even know if it counts, but it was like a Telnet-based game that you played with, uh, that was like Star Trek-based. And the original Neverwinter Nights.
1: All right? That's my clearance. Very nice. Solid. Very nice. We'll put those, put those out on the table outside, uh, in the $5 pile. <laughs> uh, Monty. Um...
5: I had one fairly modern game. I had City of Heroes, which is the only MMO I've ever really stuck with. I had two old-timey sports games. One was one-on-one Dr. J versus Larry Bird.
1: Oh, yeah! Sports!
6: Sports! Eat it, Tony!
1: You could smash the
5: uh, backboard if you dunked just right.
6: And then the little janitor would have to come out and sweep it
0: up. That was the best part. Amazing graphics when you smashed a blackboard. I remember that. (laughs) I
1: think I wrecked an Apple II joystick with that game. That was just for you. Just keep mashing that button. Come on, dunk
3: it, dunk it, you. Yep. Yes, I un- I understand sports games, as you people say from downtown. Yeah,
5: there was high school, college, and pro. Then I had another sports game, Microsoft Decathlon, which was for the PC. Oh, that was a good one. For the hundred yard dash, you had to alternate hitting one and two as fast as you could.
0: Another hardware breaking game.
5: Yeah. <laughs> That was on the Apple II as well. That's where I jacked up my keyboard. On the Apple II, it was called Olympic Decathlon. And I still think about that game every time I hear the Olympic theme song, because the 8-bit version of the Olympic song that came out of the computer stuck with me.
6: It was a bigger deal with the Apple II, though, because that keyboard was built right into the rest of the computer. Oh, yeah. So (laughs) you didn't want to jack up your one and two.
5: Uh, And uh, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, if that counts as a computer game and not a console game, Uh, My Ultima pick was Ultima 4, which was my first Ultima. It had a cloth map and a PC shareware game called Snipes that I don't think I dreamed, but I can't find anything about it on the Internet. It got put away for tax evasion. You ran around shooting things in a maze.
1: (laughs) Wow. All right. (laughs) Very nice. That's why it's in the lightning round. All right. Uh, Erica, what did you have left?
2: Uh, Not a whole lot. I kept my list short because I knew how many of us there were going to be. Mm. Um, So my leftovers are SimCity 2000, which was my first SimCity game. Played mostly in chemistry class because I had a pretty awesome teacher. Um, uh, Mist, which was... Super super fun and one of the first games that that had a soundtrack that just like kind of sucked me in, ambient noise and whatnot. Um, and then, uh, just based on the amount of time I spent playing any one game, it was the uh, 2005 original version of Jewel Quest. So not the lame version that you can play on Facebook now, but like the actual game with all of the the, the boards and the Mayan Mayan gods talking to you and stuff. Um, that was awesome. And then last but not least, Minesweeper.
1: Ah, Minesweeper. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, now you can't Someone make any more it. picks. How about that? No one, no one's brave enough to pick Solitaire, right? Uh, not yet. <laughs>
3: I thought about it, but I played Minesweeper a lot more. Tony? Uh, my next pick uh, would have been uh, StarCraft, which I consider a classic uh, real-time strategy game. Um, also, if you notice, uh, Half-Life, Grim Fandango, Thief the Dark Project, and StarCraft, which are some of the best games ever made, all came out the same year, 1998. Good year for video games. Uh, other games that I like that are on my list... Uh, Deus Ex is a classic uh, first-person shooter RPG cyberpunk game. Uh, Sam and Max Hit mm-hmm. the Road uh, mm-hmm. is one of my favorite adventure games based on the wacky comics by Steve Purcell. Uh, Secret of Monkey Island was probably kind of my first adventure game, which is a amazing game that's been ported to many things. As has been mentioned, it's hilarious. It has insult sword fighting. Um, it's great. You should play it. Um, yes, uh, Dan drafted Tie Fighter because he's good. Um, the Sims. Uh, is basically, you know, if Minecraft is free Legos forever, The Sims is playing with dolls forever. Uh, but, you know, I spent a summer doing that. Um, and last but not least, uh, Counter-Strike, which, similar to Portal, is was basically a Half-Life mod that somehow became its own game, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, and I played for hundreds and hundreds of hours. At one point, I got banned from a server because they assumed I was cheating because... I was doing I hadn't died in like five hours. Um,
6: so yeah, th- those are my games. fair enough, we won't judge you. Steve. All right, brace yourself. <sighs> um, let's see. first, my first video or my first computer game, Mystery House. Not a great Ooh. game. but uh but a good one. Um, let's see, scrolling down. Wing Commander, which was the superior uh, space combat game. uh Ultima Four was already mentioned, Neuromancer, a great, uh, great uh, slash, RPG slash adventure hybrid, Robot Rascals from 1986, (laughs) Grand Theft Auto 3, Gabriel Knight, Sins of the Fathers, The Little Computer People Project, which uh, predated The Sims by about 20 years, Alter Ego, Archon. Oh, Archon. Oh, man. Archon was wonderful. That was great. Uh, played played the heck out of that. Seven Cities of Gold, uh, The Bard's Tale, Pinball Construction Set. Yeah. Sublogic Flight Simulator, which I logged far more hours into than I care to mention, especially considering the NSA is probably listening. Law of the West, uh, Crush, Crumble, and Chomp, Planescape Torment, and Ultima Underworld. Wow, lots of Ultima coming out here lots of good games
1: as well it should be john your list
0: i tried to keep my list short too and you can see i got to less than half of it uh-huh. uh the next game on my list is riven which like star wars is the rare case where the sequel is better than the original <laughs> uh lunar rescue
2: i would have picked it but i, I could never finish it so i picked mist which i did finish
0: <laughs> oh you missed that it was it was, it was great great end game Uh, Lunar Rescue, which is a game none of you have ever heard of. This is a Mac game, and this has the distinction of being a game... I bought all these games with my own money because my parents didn't want me playing games. I bought Lunar Rescue twice because the floppy disk went bad, and I still have both original boxes and both floppy disks, which are both probably now bad. And that was another game my friend and I both played together side by side. Quake 3 3 Arena, which has already been picked, the best pure first-person shooter multiplayer game, I think, to this day. Uh, And Unreal Tournament 2004, which is Mm. the first time I really got into a game like sort of a a more modern FPS with vehicles and more complicated game types and we play that we play that pretty much every day at lunch uh for like two years at one of the jobs i had
1: all right my list i have marathon two um because i had to pick a version of marathon and that was my favorite marathon two great multiplayer uh my first real uh lengthy time playing a first person shooter it was really good
0: Good story, too. Good story. Right? Just like Marathon 1, before Half-Life, I believe. Yes. Oh, yeah. Several years before Half-Life.
1: Um, Karotica. I am wearing my Karatica t-shirt right nice. now. I love Karotica on the Apple II. Played that a lot. Love that game. Um, Choplifter from Broderbund for the Apple II. Choplifter.
6: <laughs> nice. <laughs> you got
1: You got your little helicopter guy. You got to pick up the guys. You know, it was great.
6: Dan Gorlin.
1: Ultima Three Exodus is on my list. I played wow. that all the way through in eighth grade in the hallway. Our teacher, when we were done with our in-class work, would just let us go in the hallway and play Ultima 3 on the Apple II that was out there, and we played nice. it all the way through. That was the first game I figured out how to, how to cheat on, I think.
3: Hmm. We had
1: a
5: sector editor, and we, could, we took our uh, save files and checked up all our stats.
1: Oh, shame on you. Yeah, yeah, I think there was <laughs> yeah. a utility that did that. I do remember that now. Shame on you. Um... In the text adventure category, I wanted to mention Scott Adams' Pirate Adventure. That's the first real text adventure that I played, and I played it all the way through to the end, and I figured out every last little bit of it. I know it's not as fashionable as the Infocom games, which were much more nuanced and well-written, but that was what I first saw, and I, I could remember details of it. Every time anybody mentions a mongoose or a cobra, I don't think, <laughs> Ricky tikki tavi I think you can get the mongoose and drop it in front of the cobra and then you can get in the door. So that's... I have all
5: the Scott Adams games on all my computers too. Yeah. They really don't hold up as yeah, well. Yeah, I'm sure they don't.
1: No. But I've got that map in my head somewhere. Um the first great game I ever played with a mouse is Shuffle Puck Cafe. Yes. Fantastic fantastic game. It's it's air hockey except your original Mac mouse was the air hockey paddle. You used to cheat at that by
0: making a paddle as wide as the yes. table. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another another thing with mouse control. You couldn't play that with a paddle or a joystick; it would be impossible.
1: No, it was made for a mouse, and uh, you played various characters, aliens. Yeah, yeah, it was set in basically like a Star Wars cantina ripoff. Yeah, exactly, and they all had different powers, and you had to, and then you just some of the. Oh, there was the guy who like
4: levitated the paddle and like would control it entirely with their mind.
0: That was surprisingly deep and interesting gameplay from the AIs. They were very very different from each other.
1: Yeah, that was great. Um and then I've got two oddballs. Uh I picked Tetris, so why not pick Pipe Dream, which I love.
0: Oh yeah, love it. That which would appear which would appear in future games many, many times over as a as a mini game.
1: Is there a good version of Pipe Dream for the iPhone? Because I would really like hmm. to play that game on the iPhone or the iPad. I love that game. That was a LucasArts game too, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Love that game.
0: Yeah, I played the Mac version though.
1: Uh, I played the Mac version too, but I'm just saying it would be nice. It was, that's LucasArts before they were LucasArts. John, that was a DA. That wasn't even yeah. a full game. It was a DA. It, had an, it was in the Apple menu. Yep. yep, that was great. And last, I got to mention it because it would be my children's choice, Minecraft. Oh. Minecraft, mm-hmm. which has obsessed my children, and when they have their own whatever the 20... 20s 2030s equivalent of a podcast is and they're reminiscing about video games through their 3d telepathic whatever they will talk this will
6: be the game they avoid because they know everybody else is going to pick it
1: they exactly (laughs) everybody will pick minecraft and talk about all the different mods
0: if my child has any indication they will still be playing it
1: yes (laughs) my children may be playing it right now so those are my picks and that's it we we talked about uh, computer games didn't we they'll rot your brain they're bad for you damn kids with your computer games yeah look how we all turned out stay away kids stay away definitely definitely uh a bad sign you just don't don't do it don't do it we are (laughs) let us be an object lesson to you don't go down our path all right i would like to thank my shameless sad video game homeless destroyed (laughs) destitute video game addicts just I don't know if shameless is quite accurate.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I am unemployed so there's that. Have you no shame, Monty?
5: <laughs> nope. Okay, fine. I should, but But you don't. I accepted who I am long ago.
1: <laughs> okay, good. Good for you. So I'd like to thank in order of initiative. I'd like to thank my guest Dan Moran. Thanks for uh thanks for being here.
4: I got to stay up a few hours and play video games now. Thanks, Jason. Thanks. You're welcome.
1: Many of these games are available on emulators for you to play. Play some Load Runner. I recommend. I prescribe to you Load Runner. And when you get tired of that, Tetris, really good for uh, RSI. If you want to get, it's great for great for sleeping. If you'd too. like to get some RSI, Tetris is how to get it. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Monty Ashley, hello. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. It was like a whole podcast. <laughs> I right? <have> respond to <laughs> that. So, wow. Thank you for being here.
5: I was glad to be here and reminisce about the things with which I have wasted my life.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yep. But we had a good time doing it, didn't we? yeah erica ensign thank you
2: thank you although you know it's a good thing i don't have a job right now because now i'm inspired to play through ultima 7 again so i'll see you in
1: like three months all right it's good ultima we got everybody had some ultima on their list almost that's that's pretty cool nope i think i may have been the only on non-ultima yeah that was formative uh tony sindelar thank you I'm totally still awake. Thank you. That's good. good. Go (laughs) back to sleep, Tony. It's okay. This is just a dream. It's been a dream.
3: This dream is so listy.
1: Yeah, I know. (laughs) Dream draft, coming soon. I had a dream that I was drafting things. Uh, Steve Lutz, thank you for being here.
6: Let's see. C colon CD backslash games backslash MPS. Civ dot bat. (laughs) All right. Sorry, Jason, did you say something? Uh, <laughs> nope. Oh, all right. All right. Just getting some uh, Just getting some civilization going here. Good. In. Excellent. John Syracuse, thanks for
1: being here.
0: How do you feel about a classic Mac games draft, Jason?
1: Would that just be you and
0: me?
2: Yeah, didn't you guys just kind of do that? No,
0: <laughs> no, you have no idea how deep this rabbit hole goes. It does. It does. I didn't even
1: get a, a Mac until I was a sophomore in college, but it still goes deep. Because once you're in college, you really have time to kill. Woo! Um, and uh, yes, that's it. It's just me. Thank you, me. You're welcome, host. <laughs>
2: oh, well, we just broke Jason. Oh, dear.
1: <laughs> At least we have this recorded.
2: See, kids, don't play video games.
1: All right. Thanks to everybody out there for listening to The Incomparable. And uh, yeah, don't listen to your parents. Play some video games. They're fun. Good night, everybody.